0: On this week's episode, so shall you hear of carnal bloody and unnatural acts, of accidental judgments, casual slaughters, of deaths put on by cunning and forced cause, and of the fair and beautiful Elizabeth Shue, who hast our most imperishable admiration. I am your humble amateur thespian, Troy Sauer.
1: Sir
2: Brad Anderson. And I am the mo- most noble son of the amateur thespian Cameron
0: Sauer. Oh, what brilliant acting! Thank you! And this is not a bomb! and welcome back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the show where we go back and revisit movies that totally bombed at the movie theater and also the critics really didn't give that much love to um brad it's episode
1: 54 it is we're we're talking about a movie i never even knew existed four weeks ago
0: and this week we also have a (laughs) special guest he's returning for his second episode Mr. Cameron Sauer, our young thespian. How, how are you this evening, Cam? I am doing very well. Did you have fun doing Big Trouble in Little China? A ton of fun. Okay.
1: Well, when when we were showing- Cameron, Cameron got that itch. He got that podcast itch. He's like, hey, man, you got any more of that podcast, man? I need it, man. I need that fix, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were showing you the list of films, and you saw this one, and you immediately asked about this one, right? Yeah. Uh, so you, you've seen this film a couple of times. I'd say about four or five times. Yeah. Holy cow. There you go. Wow. And this is a first time watch for you, Brad.
1: It was. Yes. Okay. Well, I, uh, yeah, like I said, four weeks ago when we started talking about doing this, I didn't know that there was a sequel to Hamlet.
0: (laughs) Yes. Hamlet two, uh, you know, the
1: direct sequel to Hamlet,
0: the direct (laughs) sequel. Do do we need, I, I mean, before we get to talk about Hamlet two, should we even try to maybe, for, for those who don't know about probably the, the greatest Shakespearean tragedy ever committed to stage, should, should, should people know like what went down in the first Hamlet to understand the sequel?
1: Isn't it Lion King, basically? You put Claudius as Scar and Simba is Hamlet and what Simba's father's name. Mufasa is old King Hamlet in kind of this, kind of.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, Hamlet is the Lion King if it ended much darker.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you have murder, betrayal, ghosts. I don't think the Lion King had, or did it have ghosts? Uh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, had, visits. Yes. he shows ghosts in the clouds. So, yeah, it, it is very much like the Lion King, but, you know, just imagine at the end everybody dies. So uh, I guess Timon and uh,
1: Pumbaa, Pumbaa yes. are supposed to be. and Guildenstern?
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> Imagine the Lion King and Timon and Pumbaa are dead and, uh, you know, the Lion King would have committed suicide. Yeah. She, she would have jumped off into the, I, I mean, everybody's dead. So imagine okay. the Lion King and everybody dies and that's Hamlet, right?
1: It's a bummer. It's this, it's a tragedy. It know. Is,
0: yes. It is. <laughs> and for, for those who don't know, I mean, Hamlet is notorious simply because it's one of, uh, I, I mean, a lot of people gravitate to like Romeo and Juliet for Shakespeare, but you know, in fact, Hamlet is the one that has probably been filmed the most. And if you think about um, production and stage plays, I believe the last time I read, and this is a while ago, Hamlet was still like the leading um, play in terms of um, production and everything else, meaning more theater companies did Hamlet than any of other Shakespeare's works.
1: Yeah, I know Benedict Cumberbatch just did it because I watched some of that on YouTube, um, his adaptation of Hamlet. So, um, and I guess we, we will say, Um, After Hamlet 2, we will talk about 1996. uh, Kenneth Branagh's adaptation of Hamlet as well.
0: Yeah, I don't know about you. The Shakespeare bug got me this week.
1: It did. did. I I did not think I was going to go down this rabbit hole, but um, I did. Because I I had seen the 48 Lawrence Olivier Hamlet um, a long time ago. And I had seen the one with Mel Gibson, which I don't think is that great. It's okay. Yeah, and that, then that came out
0: nine, like only six years before the Kenneth Branagh one. I mean, it, it was, yeah, a I think 90s it was form. 90
1: or 91. Yeah. And then Kenneth Branagh, um, 96 was kind of my last one I needed to see. So I've seen the the trifecta of Hamlet films. And I know there's more too. Was it Ethan Hawken one as well? Yeah, was there's a there more modern Ethan? one. I mean, there, there's a yeah. lot of
0: adaptations of it. And like you said, you can even find uh, a lot of Blu-rays, DVDs, YouTube videos, except et, et cetera, of just you know the, the recordings of the stage plays, but um, but they made a sequel to Hamlet. They made a sequel in two thousand eight that is is going to be fun to talk about, especially when we get kind of get to the uh, numbers behind the scenes. I love these type of movies, especially talking about them on this podcast, because the whole concept of this is here are the movies that bombed, and I, it's also a movie that I don't think anybody really knows about.
1: Yeah, I I would say I, I have my ear to the ground, as they say, and. I did not know this existed.
0: And Cameron, do, do any of your friends know about Hamlet too? None of my friends know about Hamlet too, and I don't think they've ever talked about Hamlet. <laughs> okay, well, so we've had this discussion. Um, you are a freshman in high school. How much exposure to Shakespeare have you had?
2: Uh, I just read Romeo and Juliet, and that's about it. What did you think of it?
0: It was really good. Okay, all right. So we. Got I think a Shakespeare Romeo and
1: Juliet's legit really good. It is. Um, I think Hamlet is way better as a story, um, but I'm just the a dark person as well, but it's not like Romeo and Juliet. It's like super happy at the end. Yeah. Isn't uh, most like readings of Shakespeare or of Hamlet straight through is like six hours. And I know the adaptations that I saw was four hours. So uh, just imagine having a four hour film and literally like breezing through like two hours of it to kind of get it to four. That's insane. Yes. Uh, now when, and then the sequel comes in at 90 minutes. So, you know, they really get to the point of the sequel.
0: So, yeah. So as far as the sequel goes, Brad, um, ha, did you know anything about, um, I guess, the behind the scenes of when this thing was coming up in the, in early 2007,
1: 2008? No, I, and it, it's funny because the only thing in the summer of 2008 that I was concerned about was the dark night. That's all I cared about. Okay. That's all I cared about. So, you know, this thing comes out after The Dark Knight in August. Uh, because of that, I had no idea because I was – I saw The Dark Knight in the theater, I think, six times. Um, this is wow. when I – I first met Charlie um, in May of 08. Uh We started working at a bank together. And literally, I think, like three weekends in a row, he and I and his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, went to see The Dark Knight. Like, so I know I saw it with him at least three or four times. And I saw it by myself another two probably. So, yeah. Yeah. And, the Dark Knight had consumed me.
0: And this is one I didn't discover um, theatrically, unfortunately. It was something that I'd heard about, read about, saw the trailers. We'll talk about that. But really didn't catch up to it until it came out on DVD. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm going to show my cards. The, the minute I, I saw it, my first viewing, fell in love with it. But I, I say we should how, just how –
1: How did you come across – like, how did you – Just seeing it come out, and you're like, What? They made a sequel to Hamlet? Or, like, how did did it come across your desk? So,
0: 2008, I I know, and I'm probably like you as well, Brad. I I sort of pay attention to what goes down at some of the independent film festivals. And this one, I don't know, caught a bit of a buzz at Sundance. So, I'm sure you're going to talk about this when we get to sort of the numbers and behind the scenes of it. But that's where I first learned of it. And some of the people that, uh, you know, wrote the screenplay for it or associated with it. I knew their other works and we'll talk about that. So it was something that I was really excited about just because of what I'd heard uh, about the film coming out of Sundance. But unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't play anywhere um, where I was living at the time because it, it didn't get like a wide theatrical release.
1: I mean, Evansville, Indiana wasn't playing, uh, Hamlet Two. It, it may have been, but it, it, I
0: probably blinked and it was there and gone,
1: Yeah.
0: but it was something as soon as it came out on DVD, it was like, Oh yeah, I've, I've got to buy this thing and, and watch it. And it's, uh, again, it's one of the films I fell in love with. I, I mean, I'm a bit of a Shakespeare nerd. I, I, you make fun of me for having an English degree. My degree is actually in English writing. So I've spent an entire year uh, in linguistics. And, and one of the things we did was, was study Shakespeare plays because a lot of people consider it to be old English. In fact, it's, it's the beginning of new modern English. Um, so, so let's, you know, <laughs> let's stop talking about the nerd stuff and let's just talk about Hamlet too. Cause I'm, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. Cause you and I have not texted about this. We've, we've texted about the Kenneth Branagh, um, version, yes. uh, but we have not talked about this film whatsoever. And, um, it was my recommendation and I I was super excited to bring Cameron. Uh, and before we get into this too, Brad, we're recording on Father's Day, so Happy Father's Day, man! Yeah,
1: Happy Father's Day to you as well. Yeah, and and, um, and today's my mother's birthday, so oh, happy, well, happy birthday, birthday Mom. to her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, we've been doing these. And things. today is the longest day of the year, it's oh. the summer solstice. Well,
0: that's even better. But what yeah. I thought was weird is we're we're recording on, and this was not planned. We're recording on Father's Day. And we're, we're doing Hamlet two and then Hamlet. And at the core of these films are, uh, uh, daddy issues. So yes, conflicts with your father, conflicts with your father. Do, you don't have any conflicts with me, right? I don't have any conflicts. Okay. Ooh, cool. that, that would have been awkward. Friends. Yeah. That would have been really <laughs> awkward. I'm still going to haunt your ass if anything happens to me. So, um, okay. Well, Hey, Ooh, look. does that
1: make me Claudius? Am I going to yeah, poison you're Claudius. Troy? Yeah. Oh. You're
0: totally Claudius. Um, <laughs> So let, let's get into this. We usually start with you kind of going through the numbers, a little bit of history. This is where I think it's interesting because um, the numbers is really my first introduction to this film and what happened at Sundance. So Brad, yep. can you tell the story about uh, the production and, and what was going down about that time?
1: Yeah. So the budget was $9 million. Um, box office was almost $5 million, $4.9 million. Um, the opening weekend was August 22nd that was a limited um, opening. It made 440 K and it was in 22nd place when it opened limit limited um, nationwide. And then the following week it opens, um, it opens wide and makes um, one point um, almost $1.7 million. Um, So you can see it actually grew. Obviously the, the more theaters helped, but um, unfortunately it only makes about $40,000 internationally. So so uh no money internationally, but the thing you were you were hitting at in two thousand eight Sundance, this was bought um by focus features for ten million dollars and it almost beat the record uh for Little Miss Sunshine, which was sold for ten point five million.
0: Yep, um, this this came in like a hundred thousand below. So little yeah, Miss Sunshine so, was like ten and a half or ten ten million five hundred thousand. This came in at like ten million four hundred thousand. So it was yeah, right so, up there.
1: Right at that, um, and obviously you buy a film for ten million dollars, and it makes five. In the investment world, that is uh, a bad investment. But it, you know, at one point in time, this was neck and neck with Little Miss Sunshine for uh, kind of the Sundance film that everyone wanted. You know, I think Little Miss Sunshine went on to be like be a, like a smash hit. Um, this one, sadly, did not. Um, I'm surprised, and then I'm not. <laughs> in a way that like someone wanted to buy this thing so badly. I I don't, I'd
0: see it totally playing right into that Sundance film crowd. So, um, you know, with Sundance being an independent, I I don't know, Mecca, I mean, a lot of films start there and you're, you don't have big budgets, but you probably have big ideas and studios are looking to spend a little money and say, okay, we, we want the next Little Miss Sunshine because, you know, that was not a big budget film but it brought in a lot of box office dollars.
1: Yeah, you had Steve Carell kind of I believe that might have been his first sort of dramatic role. This is like not Little Miss Sunshine. Like it's oh, a no, complete it's, like it's not <laughs> ludicrous comedy. Um but it had a lot of buzz
0: when it came out. I mean, a lot of people when they caught a hold of this and especially the studio executives saw this as a big deal um because the screenings went over because so well. it was the
1: sequel to Hamlet. I it mean was, come, yes, on, come on guys.
0: <laughs> that by itself gets you some advertising. So you were talking about the release. This this was released as a summer film in August. What was coming out about that same time? You've already kind of mentioned a big one.
1: Well July was it July 14th the Dark Knight comes out on its way to make a billion dollars. Um so remember that the rest of these are in August. So we have uh, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. Great sequel. Oh,
0: there was a... Hold on. There was a sequel <laughs> yeah. to The sister. Okay, I didn't know that. Yep. Okay. Uh,
1: so we have Pineapple Express, which I saw in the theater. Okay. Midnight Me Train. Excellent. Uh, that's a Bradley Cooper horror film.
0: Yeah, it was uh, based on a Clyde Barker. Uh, <laughs>
1: yes, yep. Clyde Barker. Uh, you have Tropic Thunder, which uh, has one of our main people in it. Yes. Um, you have that horror film... Mirrors, which is terrible. Vicky Cristiana Barcelona. The Rocker, which stay tuned. The Rocker might be coming up on our show. Not anytime soon, but it's on our list. Yes. Uh, Babylon AD, the Vin Diesel And film. Michelle
0: Yeoh.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's a bomb, so that might be on our list. But, well, will will uh, it? Really? Will it? Yeah, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Bangkok Dangerous, which is... Uh, Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Bangkok yep. Dangerous. yes. Death Race, the the remake with uh, Jason Statham.
0: Jason Statham, yes, yes. Okay,
1: uh, you have the House Bunny um, with Anna Faris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, just, uh, I thought I mean, you had something nice to say about the, the House Bunny. But I, 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 I guess I not. I, I believe I don't that even has know like a I've young. I think that has a young Emma Stone in it as well. well I knew Emma Stone was in The Rocker, right? Uh, I don't know. I've never seen The Rocker. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Then we yeah. gotta we gotta bring that one up. Yep.
1: Uh trader, the Don Cheadle movie, trader. Oh yeah. yeah, Uh, a film just called college, which I, I don't know. And then disaster movie, which remember those dumb parody movies that we had to suffer through for like a decade.
0: Oh, like the, not Epic another movie, teen movie, disaster movie, scary movie, Because scary
1: movie made, you know, some money. So they decided to shit out a bunch of those movies anyway. Yeah. You know, but that list, I mean, quite
0: honestly, there's, there's a lot of decent films in that August lineup. I mean, yeah, there's a
1: lot. I mean, it's a summer, it's the last month of the summer, and it's got some summer blockbusters in it. You know, big time comedies like Pineapple Express, Tropic Thunder. So, you know, it's 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 hard when you're going up against huge stars with your with your sequel to Hamlet. Um Yeah, and,
0: and The Dark Knight's still lingering out there.
1: Yeah, and the Dark Knight is still making tons of money critically. Hamlet Two comes in at sixty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, audience score at fifty-eight or fifty-six. I'm sorry. So right in line. Here's the uh, the consensus because I think the consensus is um, I don't know. We'll see what you all think too. The script's biting premise and Steve Coogan's endearing off-the-handle performance make Hamlet Two a hysterical, if not slightly painful, ride. Is it? Was that a compliment? I so. I'm trying to think, like, is it painful because of the journey he goes through? Like, is it like he's going through a painful journey because he's an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah? Or is it like, oh, this movie's painful, but Steve Coogan makes it worth it? I, I, don't, I don't know how to read that.
2: I think uh, it's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> a
0: backhanded compliment? It could be. I, I almost think it falls into that genre of awkward comedies. Mm-hmm. So uh, are, are you an Office fan, Brad?
1: Yeah. It, it, and I was trying to explain... We're trying to like articulate the comedy in this because there's not like setup and then punchline. It's like punchline, you know, like it's like a weird comedy that it's not your typical comedy because there's a lot of ridiculous stuff, but it's always like punchline. Well,
0: uh, yes. I mean, we will get into it in detail, but I think the the best way to describe it is I remember an episode from The Office and, and it's probably my favorite. But it's when Michael, I think, is with uh, Jan, which used to be his boss. And I th- I can't remember if the episode's called The Dinner Party. I think it's called The Dinner Party. Yeah. So he, everybody comes over to Michael's condo or whatever for dinner. And it is incredibly tense and awkward. Uh, and the episode is just hilarious. And to your point, it's the setup. It's everybody um, being put in this awkward, I don't know, uh, scenario. There's there's tension, but you don't know if they like each other, love each other kind of thing, especially, you know, Michael Jan, what's going on with their relationship. And uh, the punchlines come, but it's not like a, a set. It's just the humor happens and it catches you off guard and it breaks the tension. Then it goes right back to the tension a little bit. A lot of this movie has that, but then it does turn into something that is very South Park like, and there's a reason for that portion of it. But yeah, okay, yep. I, I, I do. I mean, if I were to think of anything that would be close to it in aspects of its comedy, I, I just remember that episode from The Office, the mm-hmm. the dinner party thing. You know which one I'm talking about, yeah, right, Cam? Yeah,
2: I remember that episode very, very
0: vividly. Yeah, I, and I, it's one of the funniest episodes that are on there. Um, but that, and, that's where I think the comedy comes from.
1: And I will say Roger Ebert gave this film three stars. His review's pretty spot on. You yeah, so, know, Roger Ebert's Roger Ebert.
0: been in timeout for a little bit for the last few reviews. But I'm glad he came around finally.
1: Yeah, because usually comedies, Roger didn't, I don't think he had much of a funny bone, but I'm glad he, he was uh, on the right side of history on this one. Uh, comedies
0: are super subjective. I mean, I, I think we're, we, we are may, they
2: are
0: I, they, I, I, I mean, I, they, they can't be. Well, look, look yeah. there's, there's true comedy, but dude, there's, there are things that I will show somebody that I think um, fall into that category of classic comedies, and they just don't laugh. And yet something like um, John Leguizamo's The Pest, which is a terrible film, terrible. My wife thinks it's the funniest film out there, but yet she doesn't like mystery men. And I don't understand that.
1: <laughs> oh, I love your wife, but that's a bad take.
0: <laughs> I know. But again, it goes back to the whole subjectivity portion of it. So, that's um, just
1: bad taste. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, do we want to talk about sort of the marketing behind this? Because, uh, one of the things that we started last week at 13th warrior is we kind of took a look at the trailer, um, which I think so far the 13th warrior still wins as the worst trailer of all time.
1: Yes. This one's not great. Um, it's very narrative and walks you through sort of the pacing of the film. It gives you the setup, right? It gives you the setup and it shows you a lot of the very end of the film, um, it shows you a lot of characters that you don't necessarily know are coming. Like, it It gives you the Amy Poehler character and all this stuff. It wasn't a great trailer. Like, I I didn't see that trailer and say, oh, I need to see this movie. There were some parts in it that are, that are pretty funny. But a lot of times with comedies, you automatically assume that they're showing you all the funniest bits in the trailer. You know, any sort of <sighs> Will Ferrell movie or anything like that, you're getting those big hits in the trailer.
0: I feel like this one would have been hard to do as a trailer simply because it's raunchy. Like how, how do you do a raunchy film trailer and not do uh, the red band? So you know what the red band trailer is Cameron? Yeah, I know what
2: that is. Okay.
0: So, and I don't know what you thought of the trailer. I, I know you've seen this film, what four mm-hmm. or five times. Yeah. Did you ever watch the trailer before the movie or did you just watch watched the, watched the movie? What'd you think of the trailer? I, that's kind of unfair because mm-hmm. you saw the film, First, but did you did you think the trailer sold it well enough? I thought the trailer did decently, but
2: that's all it could do because of how the comedy was set up. Because okay. the comedy goes off of like 5 minutes of a scene rather than just quick like 15 seconds that you can get into a trailer.
0: Yeah, and I will say the trailer um picks up on a lot of the slapstick moments mm-hmm. that are in the film. It does seem to highlight that within it. It, it wasn't a bad trailer, just I, it, it was very uh here's the setup, here's what the movie's about. Here's some of the practical gags. Um, here's some of the jokes, but the funniest stuff I think that's in the film, I don't know how you would put in a trailer to be quite honest.
1: Yeah. You're not going to, and you don't want to spoil like the songs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to have rock me, sexy Jesus in your trailer. So <laughs> they, they had a little uh, bit of it. Yeah. yeah. But, just, yeah. I mean, just yeah. a little, uh, what'd you think of the post? People are going to be tightening up that Bible belt. If you know what I'm saying, they're mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, I,
0: I think they already were. I, I bet you some people were already. But um, yeah. Cameron, I, you and I were looking at the poster today. What'd you, what'd you think about the movie poster?
2: I thought the movie poster was pretty good if you've seen the movie, but if you haven't, you're going to be missing a bit of the jokes in the poster. Yeah. What, what'd
0: you think about it, Brad?
1: Are they ever in a bathroom? Um, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why does the poster have a stall? You know, like, why is it showing a bathroom?
0: Well, I I think it's because of the tagline. Um, one high school drama teacher is about to make a huge number two. So that's the tagline of the poster, and they've got that on the bathroom stall with a you know, actor star above that as well. And then you've got props from the film later on. I'll say this the the one thing I'll give the poster kudos for it's not your typical here's a bunch of the actors' faces on the poster, and that's all you're showing. Mm-hmm. like I, I hate movie posters today because, they they are just so boring, and mm-hmm. it's like here here's the people in the movie. Come see the movie. That's it.
1: Yeah, I don't I, again. I don't know what you do for this movie poster, so it's almost a losing battle. They, they do have you're a pinup of... Uh, you're not going to have Steve Coogan like, dressed up as Jesus or anything like that. Yeah, so. but, but they yeah. do. They, they could have had him like, on his skates or oh. something. <laughs> I don't know.
0: They No, they have him as Rock Me Sexy Jesus. They've, they've got him kind of... Like a little picture in the corner. Yeah, a, a pinup poster kind of taped to the other bathroom oh, stall. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. That's I mean, it's off to the side. It's not... It's not in I don't your know. face. But, hey, it does have the thing that you and I were talking about last week where it's like yes. from the co-writers of South Park and Team America... And the executive producer of some movie you've never heard of bring well, you Hamlet 2.
0: Yeah. And the catering service of yep. South Park. But they did it. They did it. They, they did this movie. it. They did it. And at the end, you've got Rolling Stone calls it comedy heaven. The laughs don't stop. So they, <clears throat> they granted, Rolling Stone saw it at the Sundance. And mm-hmm. so um, most posters, you don't get those little taglines. Uh, but they were able to do this one because, you know, obviously it, it debuted at Sundance. Uh, you want to talk about the people behind the camera and in front of the camera real quick? It's going to be pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it is directed by Andrew Fleming, man. I had no idea who this guy was. Uh, and when I went back to look at his filmography, his first movie, I remember seeing in the theaters from 1988, bad dreams. It's a horror film.
1: That's like the nightmare on Elm street, but not nightmare on Elm street, right? Like it's kind of a little,
0: Yes. I, it's derivative it's of nightmare on C Elm street. version nightmare on Elm street. Some, okay. yeah, psycho killer hospital. I, I know I saw it in the theaters. I remember nothing about it, but I think it had the creepy blonde headed. I don't know. Richard hatch. He was always sort of a, a villain. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. It, uh, I think that's his name. Richard Lynch, Richard Lynch, Richard Lynch. I knew it was a Richard. Yes. yes. Yeah. So he's in there. He also went on to do in '96 The Craft, which love The Craft. Well, re-
1: I love The Craft at the time. I haven't seen it in a long time, so maybe I should not say I love it.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think you've seen The Craft, Cameron. I don't right? think I've seen either of the movies you've t- talked about. Probably not. Ooh.
1: The okay. Craft is pretty good. It's a pretty good. I don't remember liking 90s it horror it when movie. I saw
0: it. Um, I need to revisit. Dev it Campbell.
1: It's got you know, it's got uh, a good cast.
0: Yeah, he did Dick in 1999, which is a. Uh, it's a pretty funny film. Um, this was, this makes sense to me. Uh, he directed some episodes of Arrested Development, the TV series. Oh yes. That makes sense. So this
1: has a lot of Arrested Development kind of humor.
0: Yes. And before Hamlet 2, he did Nancy Drew in 2007. Um, and he's, he's done a lot of TV series outside of Arrested Development. He also did the New Girl TV series. He did some episodes for that. And this one shocked me. He, I didn't even know this existed, but I don't know if you remember the John Ritter uh, film Problem Child. And there was problem child two and three. There was a three.
1: There's a third one.
0: Oh, well, I, I, I okay. believe there's a trilogy of problem child films. Well, in 2015, did you know that there was a remake of problem child and he directed no. it? Oh yeah. There you go. It's a remake of the 19, uh, yeah. 1990 film. So is that the third one or
1: no, no, totally different. Okay. okay. I, I usually don't do this, but I, I want to fact check my, there's three problem child films problem I, child. I only knew. Oh, yes. Problem child three junior in love in 90 in 95. Oh so. my
0: goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's four problem child movies out there. Cause there's a remake from 2015. There's so that's,
1: four, there's four too many problem child films out go. in the wild,
0: you know, and that makes total sense. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute because I think Hamlet two addresses <laughs> a problem like four problem childs. Um, But that's Andrew Fleming in terms of a director. The writers um, are also Andrew Fleming and Pam Brady. Now, we talked about the movie poster from the co-writer creators of, you know, the South Park movie and Team America. So Pam did work on the South Park TV series. She did write for South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut in 1999. Um, Team America, World Police in 2004. Also worked on the TV show Just Shoot Me, uh, was a writer for that and uh a film that will definitely show up at some point and i think you just discovered this one cameron but Ooh, hot was, rod. was the writer for hot rod in 2007 oh i discovered that like a year ago i was just re-watching it recently oh really i just you were watching hot rod the other night that was your first view okay so you've seen it twice oh yeah hot so rod
1: hot rod has one of my favorite scenes in cinema period <laughs> period in all of cinema period uh i'm a proud owner i can't we're not going to say it right now, but okay. it has my favorite, one of my favorite scenes.
0: I, I think when we review that thing, I'm going to pull out my HD DVD of Hot Rod Ooh. to watch that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get my HD DVD player on because that, that was one of the <laughs> early HD DVD movies I bought was Hot Rods. So there you go. Uh, composer. Now we're, we're going to talk about the composer here. It's Ralph Saul. He has done movies like Adam's Family Values in 93, Speed in 94, The Craft in 96, and the writers and composer... So, you know, Pam, Andrew and Ralph are all credited for the song Rock Me Sexy Jesus, which was a nominee for best original song by the Houston Film Critics Society, the Online Film and Television Association and the Gold Derby Award. So I don't. I don't know what the gold Derby awards are, but I'm telling you that Houston film critics <laughs> society, they're on to something there. I don't know what it lost to, but my vote, would've I want to be a part of the Houston film society. I, yes. Do sure. we have to live in Houston? Ooh, cause I'm not living in Houston.
1: I'm not living in Texas.
0: Yeah. Period. I'm staying the East coast. Okay. So that, those are the folks I just wanted to bring up behind the scenes. Let's talk about the folks in front of it. And we have to start with Steve Coogan, uh, Brad, Steve Coogan fan.
1: I, You know, I wasn't super familiar with this stuff. Um, Before this, I kind of only knew him from Tropic Thunder, to be honest with you.
0: Oh, for shame.
1: I I know. I know.
0: Um, How about you, Cam? Is Hamlet 2 the only Steve Coogan film you've seen? or I'll, I'll list some. I bet you. No, I know you've seen one of them a couple of times. I
2: feel like I've seen a ton of them. I just can't remember their names.
0: Okay. Well, he started his career in the 80s as a voice actor on a satirical puppet show um, called Spitting Image. And he was also providing voice work for uh, television advertisements. So that's how he got his career. He ended up doing um, a character called Alan Partridge. and And Alan Partridge is like this socially inept and politically incorrect media personality. So he created this character on a Radio 4 comedy on the hour, and that's where he gained a lot of notoriety. For me, Steve Coogan, who plays Dana Marsh, Um, I I know him from 2004's Around the World in 80 Days with Jackie Chan. (laughs) Of course you do. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but you, Cameron, everyone,
1: everyone at home, drink.
0: Yes, <laughs> you, Cameron, would know him as Octavius from the Night at the Museum movies. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, he was in Hot Fuzz, uh, has a little cameo in the beginning. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's in Tropic Thunder, so that came mm-hmm. out that year. Uh, Alan Partridge, like I said, was his um, his big role for television, but he ended up turning that into a film in 2013, um, which is actually. Pretty good. I mean, if you want an introduction to like one of his famous characters, go check that film out. He in 2013 did a film called Philomena. He co wrote, produced, and starred in the film, and was nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. So he has some Ooh, pedigree behind. Is him. that
1: Judy Dench?
0: Yes. Is she okay. Yep. Um, and then the other thing I think he started to get some notoriety for is he did a, a trilogy of films, and he did Trip to Italy in 2014. And these are films that he does with uh, Rob Brydon. Um, but he's also done Trip to Spain in 2017 and Trip to Greece. Um, I've only seen parts of A Trip to Italy. It was pretty funny. Um, that That's a series I do want to go back and revisit. Steve, Steve Coogan, I he's I don't want to say he's your typical British actor, but he feels like your typical British comedic actor to a certain degree. But I, I do think he brings something a little bit different. Um, but I, I, I don't know how you guys feel. I, I like that dry, mm-hmm. sarcastic British wit
1: Yes. Yeah, yes. I really like
0: it. And of course, we get the incomparable Elizabeth Shue playing <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. <laughs>
1: uh, she still looks stunning too. By the way, like. It,
0: yes. My yes. lord. She was my first movie crush. I think, <laughs> because when I saw the Karate Kid in 1984, I, I was like, "Wow, that—that's my girlfriend." <laughs> um, and of course, she leaving was- Las Vegas. Well, I, you're skipping yep. a lot of films oh, here. Sorry. We got Adventures in Babysitting from 1987, which our good friends at the VHS Files podcast did an excellent episode on, so go check that out. Um, that episode's a lot of fun.
1: One of the characters is named Brad Anderson in that movie. It's it's haunted me for my whole life.
0: Was that the creepy kid <laughs> that was always yeah. hitting on her? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Boy, that... <clears throat> just it's a hard one to there. shake, man. Yeah. Um, and of course, in 1988, she starred with Tom Cruise in cocktail drink again, <laughs> drink again. There you go. You've already talked, le- leaving Las Vegas. Now the joke in this film is Elizabeth Shu has left acting and is playing herself. But if you go through her filmography, I, I mean, she's been acting for quite a while. I totally forgot. Hey, she was in the saint too with Val Kemmer. Yeah. is such a great movie. She was in Piranha 3d in 2010. I totally forgot about that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she has like a little bit part in that. Um, so also in this film is Katherine Keener as a uh, Brie Marsh's marshes, marshes, this is, <laughs> um, plays Dana's wife. Uh, she, um, you might know Cameron from the 40 year old virgin. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's in that, uh, she, I don't know. She's, she's one of those actresses when she shows up, she's known for a lot of independent films, but I, I, I think she's fantastic. She was nominated for best actress in a supporting role for being John Malkovich, 1999, mm-hmm. That one, Cameron, you need to put on your watch list. Um, you'll love that. Yes.
1: One. If you haven't seen being John Malkovich, you will. It will change your life.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and then also nominated for best actress in a supporting role for Capote in 2005. So uh, it it is surprising how many.
1: And she was the mom in Get Out. I mean, Get Out's probably yes. one of her most mm-hmm. important roles, too.
0: But I, I mean, the people in front of the camera, you've got a lot of Academy Award uh, nominated folks um, just from an acting perspective. That's that's pretty impressive. And even, you know, writing. But um, we'll, we'll keep going. We got uh, Joseph Julian Sophia as Octavio, also known, you know, well, for the first half of the movie, he's known as Haywood Jablomi. <laughs> <laughs> You said it. <laughs> um, Skylar Aston is Rand. Uh, Phoebe Stroll is Epiphany. Melanie Diaz is Avon. David Arquette. We got a David Arquette movie, Brad. I, I, uh, r- hey, look, you want some David Arquette love? Go back and listen to last year's episode with uh, Ready to Rumble, which Cameron, Ready to Rumble. Oh, great film. There you go, Brad. Cameron,
1: stop it. <laughs> Actually, I will say in this film, I think David Arquette's pretty tolerable it's very subdued performance and he's not yelling the whole time and i think it's actually a pretty good performance
0: Uh, okay so you really like david arquette as gary
1: he's not yelling the whole time so it like is not nerve-wracking
0: well he you know why because he's an actor he
1: has acting
0: range he can (laughs) do all of that he's he's an amazing actor
1: He's a thespian. Of course. Yes. Yes. David
0: Arquette, the thespian. Thank you. Um, Okay. We got Marco Rodriguez as Mr. Marquis. uh, And then we've, we've already mentioned her name, Amy Poehler as cricket Feldstein. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about her in a minute, but um, yeah, I mean, that's that. I think it has a pretty fantastic cast when you look at it on paper, especially if you're trying to put, I don't know, a satirical comedy together. But
1: for $9 million, yes. For $9 million,
0: yeah. So I, I want to get into this. Um, I'm going to start with you, Cameron. So I think I know where you're going to land on this. You've seen it four or five times. That <laughs> probably means you don't hate the movie. Uh, but what are your initial thoughts on Hamlet 2? What What do you think about this thing?
2: I think it is a fantastic movie. And it's it's something that not a lot of comedies can do, which is be consistently funny throughout the entire film.
0: Okay. Do I have a question? Does any of the film ring true to you as a high schooler? Well, I haven't been in high school. I mean, oh quarantine. yeah, true, true, quarantine. <laughs> Come on, Dad. But so, all right.
1: I, I even knew that. <laughs>
0: but teacher-wise, I mean, is uh, Dana Marsh? Marshes? You, you have any Dana Marshes? You don't have to say their name. You can just, yeah, I maybe. Have, I have no Dana Marshes. No Dana Marsh's in your life. Okay. Um, so consistently funny. Do you, now some of the social commentary, what what do you think about that?
2: Uh, like social commentary as in like, um,
0: it it's making fun of a lot of different stereotypes of, uh, you know, I I don't know which, which you would help me out here, Brad. I mean, it's, we, we can get into the details of it, but if you're, if you're talking Mm -hmm. about Um, Hamlet, if you're talking about the school system, if you're talking about ethnicity, uh, does any of that stuff resonate with you? Sexuality, sexuality. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, did, did you find, did the commentary resonate or was it just the, the other sort of, uh, raunchy jokes or anything else that kind of come?
2: I think it was a bit of both. Like it kind of shows like how everyone used to view opinions and then changed over time. Because I mean, in a lot of the film, like a lot of people were racist towards the beginning. And then just kind of like grew with it as the film went on. But
0: I think it uh, was also a lot of raunchy comedy with it. Okay. Well, here's the opinion I've been waiting for all week. <laughs> Brad, uh, I, I know in Hamlet, the first one, everybody dies, blah, blah, blah. This one is a little bit more cheery. But what what did you think of Hamlet 2?
1: I I have to say I'm with Cameron. I love this movie a lot. Uh, <laughs> For 90 minutes, I think I laughed pretty much the whole time at something. Um, if, if it was just something off to the side that was ridiculous, they have they go with practice at a place called the Snackatorium, which I want a Snackatorium now. Like, <laughs> that's what I want. Um, you know, I, I think this movie hinders on your ability to tolerate Steve Coogan and Dana as a character. I, I I was able to put up with him and thought he was funny, and that's the kind of comedy that I like. You know, you were saying comedy is subjective and I was kind of laughing at that. It is, especially like with this. Um, This is so ridiculous. I mean, this movie is ultimately really stupid, but there's actually a lot of stuff going on under the hood when you like lift it up and start looking at it. Yes, there's the Christianity thing and the gay thing and the Latino thing and the let's make fun of Elizabeth Shue the whole time, too, and she's totally cool with it, which makes me like Elizabeth Shue even more, because it's like, oh, if you can make fun of yourself, I'm 100% down with that. Um, yeah, I I, <laughs> I really like this movie a lot. Um, I asked you last week, I said, do I need to fill in my Hamlet knowledge to enjoy this movie? And you said, you wouldn't really give me an answer, so I was like, okay, obviously, I th- I think I, I need to, because it's been forever since I've experienced Hamlet, and then I'm like, Troy was a liar. I didn't even know anything (laughs) about Hamlet because this thing is called Hamlet 2 and literally they reference Hamlet, but just the big sweeping plot points. And I think my one thing with this film I wish kind of expanded on a little bit was the end. Like I wish the Hamlet 2 part of Hamlet Mm 2 was we got to see more of that because the finale of this movie is the best part. When they're putting on the play at the end, I find that to be the best stuff and I don't even like musicals but the music in this is funny and that stuff hit and was perfect and I wish we had more of that I wish instead of the end being 15 minutes, I wish it was 30 minutes um, I'm sure that's a budgetary thing but I, and I was never believe it or not troy I was never in a uh, theater or anything like that so a lot of this stuff was a little bit outside of my comfort zone but like you can kind of substitute theater with sports and stuff like that. It still works. Like you're having a bunch of people come together to do one goal. Um, and, you know, you always have the stereotypical people, even like in sports, you, you have, instead of the teacher's pet, you have the coach's pet and you have the one person that's trying way too hard. Um, and in this movie, they get those stereotypes really well. Um, the two, white kids to do Aaron Brockovich. Like there is, they do Aaron Brockovich in this movie as a play. And I was like, okay, I'm in like whatever happens in this movie. I'm in, they have infomercials at the very beginning and he does a herpes one. And I'm like, okay, this is, I am, I am sold like five minutes in this movie. I'm sold. So um, it had me at the very beginning. So, yeah. So I, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No,
0: I, I don't think you have to know anything about Hamlet in order to appreciate the comedy in this film. But I do think it's good to know the story of Hamlet and the plot points and how it plays out in order to appreciate this film.
1: Yes, but when I ask you, do I need to invest four hours of watching (laughs) Hamlet to appreciate Hamlet too? and you kind of beat around the bush, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch Hamlet now. And I'm like, I knew the big sweeping plot points of Hamlet. I didn't need... (laughs) Oh, we'll, we'll talk choice. about
0: it. We'll talk about it. Cause I, I actually am super, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm super appreciative of the fact that I took that time to watch Hamlet the same week that I watched this one, because I think it made my viewing of this. I appreciated it a little bit more, um, especially knowing, uh, this Dana character and him experiencing Hamlet and then what his takeaway is and what he decides to put on stage I don't know. I feel like I got into Dana's head a little bit more by sitting down and watching a four hour version of Hamlet. And then when you go back and watch Hamlet too, you're like, Oh yeah, I, I totally understand this character a little bit more in my opinion, what he was going for. But I I guess, you know, before we get into a lot of the details and we're just sharing our thoughts, I I agree with both of you guys. Consistency is, is sort of the term that you brought up on this film. I think this film is consistently funny. If, if you asked me, Uh, you know, what film best describes what it's like living today in America with social media, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when it comes to like our culture or even how we assess our culture. And, And you're like, okay, give me a film that sums up 2020 and maybe 2021 in that aspect. I think this movie is pretty spot on especially with a lot of its messaging. It's consistent, which you guys talked about that, which I, I find is extremely rare in screenplays. Even even the biggest comedies or, or the most successful ones, you always have a little bit of a lull. I can't think of a lull at all in this film. Yeah, did you
1: go five minutes in this movie without laughing? No, no, I'm,
0: I'm consistently <laughs> laughing. Um, but I also find the social commentary is also just as consistent and accurate. Um, And I can see where some of the jokes or commentary may not have landed in 2008. But man, I think they're super funny in 2021. Um, And you had said that, and I I like this comment. At, At first, if you were to just watch it, you go, well, this is just a dumb comedy. I mean, this is from the folks who do South Park and, you know, Team America. And The co-writers. Yeah, the co-writers. But even those films, and this one I put in that caliber, what makes this type of comedy so special is, yeah, on its surface, it's it's a big, dumb comedy where it's high school students are putting on uh, a musical to to save the drama club, and the musical they're putting on is just absolutely inappropriate, which on that level is funny. But everything underneath the hood, your expression – is so good mm-hmm. in terms of what it's exposing um, from its social commentary, and that even I think heightens the humor. So I would say, yep, on its surface, it's your big dumb comedy because it's got slapstick moments. But I really think this is a super smart commentary. Um, this is up there with Idiocracy for me. I, I but I think it's funnier than Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I just I'm laughing consistently through this whole thing. But, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of your comments on it, but I, I can't stress enough how smart I think this film is.
1: Yeah, and I also like that it it knows, like... So it, he knows movies, so he's like, oh, I have to go about this, like, Dangerous Minds. So <laughs> yes. Inside. And that stuff just doesn't work. Um, and I also... Like that, you know, to save the drama school, like he writes a number on the board and I'm like, oh, he's going to write like $60,000. He writes 6000 And I was like, oh, <laughs> six grand. That's all you need is six grand. Like, really?
0: Yeah, really? I, let's start with Steve Coogan, because I, I think this movie sort of succeeds or fails on the performances. So Cameron, Dana Marsh is, is and, and we say it that way because I don't even think he knows how to say his last name in the film. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, what, I mean, what do you think of Steve Coogan in, in terms of, of his performance as Dana?
2: I think he does really well as Dana, like a bit too well, because I was like, okay, he's just... He this is just him. <laughs> like cuz I mean like when he was being drunk and he was like going past those cars, none of them him, this one stationary truck he slams into and then he starts acting when he's drunk buying like uh, what was it? Like uh cheap and hard liquor. Oh and, yeah, the grain alcohol. Grain alcohol. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it was just it, it was phenomenal because of how like in depth he was as a character.
0: Yeah, he's you, I'm with you. I can't. Uh, if I had not seen him in any other movies, I would have thought this is just Steve Coogan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I. I mean, if if I didn't know anything else about this guy, I would say this guy's one of the funniest people I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like spot on, and it, it, it is that British humor. But he's so good at it, and just the little things that he does. Um, I don't know, man. Comedy's so hard to pull off when you're not really doing a typical joke. And like there's these small moments too. You're like, oh, that was a cool thing. Like he throws his hat to a guy and he like throws it perfectly to him. And I was like, oh, that was like actually kind of cool. I don't know why it stuck out, but you remember the part he takes off his black hat and he just throws it to the kid at the front row. And it's like a perfect throw. And I'm like, I don't know why they did it to where like it was perfect. But for some reason, I love that shot. Like it just stood out. And I'm like, I don't know why, but it was just kind of this cool character moment. Can
0: you think of any scene where Steve Coogan, so in most comedies, especially if you get an ensemble piece or something, you always have a character come along and they stand out in a scene um, or you know they're a scene stealer. I, I, my opinion on this one, I don't know what you guys think, he doesn't let anybody steal a scene from him. I mean, even when you think somebody's going to, he has this line or something that comes in um, even in these poignant moments and then all of a sudden he just brings it back to him. I don't know how he does. I mean, I'm sure that has a lot of the, you know, to do with the writing, et cetera, mm-hmm. but anytime he's on screen, you are, Oh, and he's on screen throughout the entire film. You're always focused on him. Mm-hmm. He does not just, he owns this film like this mm-hmm. film lives or dies. I think based on his performance.
2: Yeah, I had to rewatch it this morning and instead of just like looking at him and laughing at him the entire time, I decided to look at everyone else in the room and I, and I was laughing even more because I realized what they were doing and I realized how great of a cast this is because Gary, like he's really <laughs> good because throughout the film, he gets quieter and quieter because he's getting closer with the wife and, and his wife says, oh, Gary is better when he's quiet and so at the end of the film, he's like barely speaking. Oh, I never picked up on that.
1: <laughs> okay. Are you guys sitting down and ready for this statement?
0: Uh-oh. Go.
1: I think one of the funniest moments in this film is the David Arquette moment. Oh, really? It's what? when they're when they're leaving, when they're leaving the house. He picks up all this protein. He goes, "I left your protein shake in the refrigerator. It's strawberry." <laughs> and he walks out. <laughs> I, that got me for some reason. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny.
0: Wow. Yeah. Humor is subjective, Brad.
1: <laughs> cool, I know those guys. I know those guys who are like, you know, the big, like, I had to literally like mainline protein into their body all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought that was super funny.
0: No, you're right. I, every, David Arquette, I, I didn't, I, that's cool that you picked up on that because I have a hard time paying attention to everybody else mm-hmm. because of what's going on with Steve Coogan. You're so attached to him that you're absolutely right. I mean, these little nuanced character performances are happening in the background. I think they get overshadowed by what's going on with him. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, Brad. I, I've seen that scene, I don't know how many times, and every time he he just has that puppy dog like, hey, sorry about taking your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I loved your protein shake.
1: I, I will say one of the tropes in films I hate the most is the wife character who does something tragic to the lead character so that they can kind of get their life back together. Like at the end of the day, her only character moment in this film is, "Hey, I cheated on you, and I'm leaving with with Gary," and that's going to be your of catalyst for you to move on to the rest of this movie. Um, and I I, I kind of hate that. It's either wife dies or the wife does something like tragic to the main character to make them do something. And I don't know. I'm not down for that trope all the time, um, especially in this movie. This kind of felt weird because even when he comes home and you know she's sitting outside and says hey you know i'm pregnant like right then and there you know it's not his baby like because of the way she's acting um and then it's you just kind of hate that character from then on
0: i i don't know if i hate her i i feel like that's an entire setup for the whole tragic element to the film mm-hmm. because even though that this is a a flat out funny movie it is starting um, from Dana's perspective. It, it's slowly turning into a tragedy mm-hmm. uh, for him. It's it's Hamlet too. It it is Hamlet too. Yeah. Um, and he, here's the thing. And again, not to not to harp on how great Coogan is, but think of it this way. I mean, he's inept and clueless, but he has this big heart and sweetness to him, like this authenticity. And he, I mean, flat out has more ambition than talent. He's sort of that walking example of hard work beats talent because he's trying his heart. Now he has no skill, but he's, mm-hmm. he's putting himself out there. Right. Uh, but he's doing it every day and he just doesn't give up and you're laughing at him, but you feel for him at the same time. And he has this reference. And I, I think it's, to me, it's like his best performance in the film when he is taking a step back and he goes, my life is a parody of a tragedy. And he just sells that line. It, it's a great reference to the overall film and you feel his pain, but that's where I think the wife character and Gary, that whole setup, You know, he's losing his job at the school. Um, the little freshman film critic is on his case and <laughs> thinks he writes dr- I mean, his life is just totally coming to pieces. Um, And he's getting beat up by like the local Tucson Hicks and everything for putting on a play um, that is, you know, going to have a sexy Jesus Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, So I, I, I don't know. Yes, it's a trope, but I think it's, it's setting up the fact that Hamlet two at its heart is trying to take one of the most depressing pieces of literature where everybody dies at the end And it's trying to set up something equally as weighty. I mean, his wife is pregnant with Gary's baby (laughs) and they're leaving. He's losing his job to school. All of this setting up for a tragedy. But here's this guy, you know, at the end of the day saying, I'm going to write myself into greatness. I I love that aspect of it. So I I get what you're saying about the trope, but I think it's necessary, especially for what the film is trying to set up. I mean, it's it's really good because even at the beginning,
2: like, out of uh, out of like your first dialogues with the wife, like the wife is beating him down, and he's
0: still like pushing through, like yeah. just kind
2: of ignoring it and still loving the wife. Well, he thinks it's like that
0: playful banter. Yeah. I mean, the the, <laughs> the wife parts are the parts that remind me of that Office episode mm-hmm. where you go, wait, are. Is this their playful banter? <laughs> like them being mean to each other is playful. banter, Or do they, are they just, re- is she really mm-hmm. mean? Um, it's that awkward comedy that I, that I do think that works.
2: And I think you realize what's actually happening when she's drunk in the Mexican
0: bar. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I think <laughs> that's when you realize, oh, this is just really sad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the tragedy part. What about, uh, I mean, we talked about Catherine Keener, David Arquette. Um, let's talk about Elizabeth Shue for a second. <laughs> so she plays... Elizabeth Shu.
1: Bravo. Elizabeth Shu, Bravo. Like uh, I said, self-deprecation i love, like if you're able to bust your own balls and be in a movie where you're making fun of yourself and you don't take yourself too serious. Like you're okay in my book.
0: Yeah. She, she plays a nurse in a fertility, <laughs> fertility clinic, gave up Hollywood was, um, was tired of being, you know, just dumped on. Um, I love the sequence where they're standing at the gym and she's there to talk about her acting career. And, you know, Coogan's upset because they didn't even Google mm-hmm. her to find out what movie she's in.
1: And the volleyball practice is going on behind them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. But but I love the
0: one question that somebody asked about, you know, what does she miss about Hollywood? And her response, it it feels genuine mm-hmm. where she says um, she misses making out with all the hot guys. I, I thought that was funny. But it, it's a <laughs> – it's what Elizabeth Shoe I feel like that's what she would say. Is Elizabeth Shoe. Mm-hmm. I mean, she plays herself really well. I
2: think the funniest part about that scene is when you cu- when she cuts out of uh, like the camera angle and it's going to um, the main character, Dana. Uh, yeah, Dana. Uh, she in the background is muffled but says. Uh man, it sucks that I can't uh make out with my patience. She says that and I'm just <laughs> dying laughing. And I just I just can't listen to what Dana's
0: saying because I'm just in tears. Yeah, she's so good. I, I love her at the end when she's watching the show too. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that's laughing and um recognizing the crane kick uh that yeah. he does on yeah. stage and
1: I, I think they could have done more with her character and kind of kind of pushed back on Hollywood a little bit and, and talked about like how female actresses like lifespan is you know way shorter than men like you know she's considered old in hollywood because you know she was an 80s star and you know 30 years later it's like she's been thrown out um you know i think they could have done something with that because you know if you're going to take shots you might as well like go at it and I, i you know they could have missed. I feel like that's a missed opportunity, but that's just me. They they do a
0: little bit of it when she calls her agent up and, and says, Hey, I'm ready to act. And she's like, no, it's Elizabeth. Shue. Elizabeth Shue, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I, I agree. I mean, there are chances for probably more, I don't know, biting comedy uh, against Hollywood. I think this does a pretty good job of it um, overall, but I, I do like what they did with her. I, I'm always worried about somebody who plays themselves because, you know, at the end of the day, they're still not playing themselves. But what I like about her performance is it, again, it just goes down to that authenticity. Mm -hmm. You feel like this is Elizabeth Shue, even though in reality, it's, it's probably her playing, you know, the character of Elizabeth Shue, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, she does it so well. Um, what about Amy Poehler as, um, (laughs) cricket cricket? Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, she come, see, this is, uh, this is where I thought she would be stealing scenes from Steve Coogan. Mm -hmm. But as soon as these lines come out of her and she's making me crack up, Steve Coogan has these follow-ups that are just, his just reaction to her Mm -hmm. is priceless too. You know, she just goes on her rant and he's like, oh, wait, are are you on my side? (laughs) (laughs) I I love that aspect of it, but she's fantastic in this. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, she
1: comes in like a ball of fire in this movie. Um, What is she, the last 30 minutes? Really? She's kind of late yeah, entry. And, and
0: boy, she's maybe she, on screen like five minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you could tell like people who are naturally funny when they come into a movie and they're allowed to do funny things. You're like, oh my God, like that person. I know funny people, but they're nowhere as funny as like Amy Poehler. Like Amy Poehler is one of the funniest people. And she shows you in this movie why, you know, she can do almost anything comedically. It's so good. And when she's on the fetal position, when she gets like run over. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's just so good, man. Like, there's just so many moments that are just so funny. And, you know, it's like, it's, could someone else do this in this role? Could someone play cricket and be as good as Amy Poehler? And I'm like, I don't think so. I think, like, it's this is her. This is for her.
2: I think she does so phenomenally. And she pokes, uh, like, at the fact of publicity because of how, like, um, diverse, like, this play is going to be and how everyone's, like, going crazy about it and giving it more and more publicity and she just comes in because of that and she pokes fun at that and then she's like if, she, if anything happens to her career, she's suing
0: someone in, all, in every scene, and it's just hilarious. She does have that vibe. I, I love that whole speech she gives the firefighters mm-hmm. about, oh, yeah. I don't see your badge, I think you touched my boob. <laughs> I mean,
1: she, your she, name it, tags aren't visible, and you brush up against my breast. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: I, I love that comment. Like she's Even if she loses, she's going to sue somebody over losing. <laughs> um, and just that whole, yeah, go ahead, hit me. I'm, I'm married to a Jewish guy. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I mean, she, she she plays off of all of these elements um, that are a typical attorney, but mm-hmm. sort of heightens it and just makes it even funnier. Um, She's
2: perfect for the role. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I- I'm with you both. I-, I can't see anybody playing cricket except Amy. Um, and I guess that just leaves the kids' performance. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got uh, Skyler and Phoebe as our-, our two theater junkies <laughs> who are sort of drinking the Dana Marsh's Kool Aid. Um, I think they're hysterical oh, to yeah. watch. I-, I think those two are fantastic
1: the girl is really like she's that Southern sort of Christian. And then she gets kind of feelings for some of the kids in the class at first, obviously she's scared because, you know, she's a sheltered white girl. And then, you know, as, as soon as like, you know, at the end she's stealing TVs and stuff like that. So (laughs) she's pretty funny. And the other guy is, I think he is super funny as well. Um, I, I don't really know much of his work. I've looked at his filmography and he does a lot of like pitch perfect and things like that. So I yeah. think he's more of like a musical type, but he's really good.
2: Uh, I think the girl did phenomenal and she gave out the best one-liners. Uh, Cause even at the beginning of the movie, when she's like, I'm still a little bit scared of ethnicities. I, I was still dying <laughs> laughing at that. She, I think she gave the best one-liners, but the dude gave like the best, Best one of the best scenes at the end where he's talking about how you go, he takes like depression pills and he's okay with his sexuality now because he's gone to therapy and all that and he's like oh my god yay and, just, <laughs> and like the way he would like walk everywhere it, it's just perfect.
0: He um yeah I I think they're so good I I love how they play off of um Julian Surya, Octiva Melon Diaz is Yvonne you you feel that sort of tension between sort of the racial. Portion of it, but also they—you think they come from two different backgrounds. Like one of my favorite scenes is is Octavia's parents. Oh God! Um, (laughs) And and we'll talk about that from a social comedy, but um, it really is Steve Coogan with an ensemble cast. And you've got the the adults as one set of ensemble, and then the kids as another, with Steve Coogan sort of anchoring the both. And the kids are just as funny as the the adults in this. Mm -hmm. I, I I want to talk about the social commentary because this, this is, like I said, if, if I were to say, Hey, here's a, you know, Hey Troy, what, what movie is, is best describes what's going on when you open Facebook or you open the news or anything, I'd go, Oh yeah, just go watch Hamlet too. Um, you brought up this line to me. This line is what every white person is going through in America right now, <laughs> When when she says it's it's epiphany, she goes in my prayer circle. I've been praying for more racial understanding, but I still get anxious around ethnics. <laughs> <laughs> that line is so funny, but oh my god, is it so true? When you kind of look at what's going on in the news, um, I, I think it it's pretty much sums up a lot of the tension we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, you're right. Like this, it's weird. You're like, oh, this ridiculous comedy that is. Kind of like the sequel to Hamlet. Uh, go watch it for all this scathing social commentary. You know, she's that typical like middle class Instagram white girl who's like, "Oh, I, I'm, I'm supporting you, but only from a distance because I don't really feel comfortable around you." You know, it's there are people like that who need to feel like they're supporting what's going on socially, but uh, when it comes time to do brass tacks, it's no bueno. So. Yeah, but they're getting um, there.
0: I mean, that's what I like about that character. Yeah. she I love that she recognizes it, but yet doesn't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like you guys have said, by the end of the film, she's had this transformation. She she falls in love, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody. And where she starts as a character versus where she ends, I love that line comes out at the beginning. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm i laughing at that because I go, wow, I, I think that sums up like culturally what we've been going through over the last couple of years but I like where this film ends, where it's like, yep, it might be uncomfortable because you're not, you know, you're not comfortable with some of these topics. Like you said, Brad, it's I'll, I'll challenge, you know, uh, the status quo or I'll dabble in these, but I, I like to do it from a distance because I, I feel anxious or I feel uneasy, mm-hmm. but by the end of the film, she's, she gets it. I mean, she's right there. And I, I kind of feel like there's a hopeful message just mm-hmm. in that character that just goes, Yep, it's going to be a little difficult, but we're going to get there, folks.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it kind of plays into that tragedy part that goes into a happy ending because it could have just stayed a tragedy in where she stays racist the entire time and doesn't yeah. change her ways. But, like, at the beginning to the end, she transforms into someone that is like, I'm loving this crowd. And it shows that, hey, there is a happy ending to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it also shows, like, theater groups, sports teams, like – you put a bunch of different people together, but you give them one sort of mission or, you know, we have to be teammates. We have to put on this play or anything like that. Like at some point in time, like those people who wear the same uniform, you don't care who they are or what they are, but as long as they're on your team, like you'll like ride or die for them. So, um, you know, I, I think that comes across in this as well. Like per- being protective of your little troop that you have. Um, Cause at the end, like, all these people are, are are literally all they care about is coming together and putting on this play. So I, I think this movie does a good job of of showing how different groups of people come together to kind of, you know, complete a mission.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. It's it's something if you pick some common goal, some common good, I mean it it's just basically going to put all the other things aside and people are going to come over, you know, to say, "Okay, we can accomplish this." And you know what? It goes much easier if we look past sort of the color, the ethnicity, and everything else. And and I like that this dumb comedy has these characters going through that. But um, Yeah, it could
1: be, you know, ethnicity, sexuality, anything, as long as we're on the same level and we're trying to I sh- shouldn't say only, but like, you know, we're we're on the same team. I don't I don't care, you know. And that's I don't know. That's important.
0: Yeah. And, and that kind of goes into the next, I think, funny, just absolutely funny social commentary is when Octavia says, hey, I can't be in this play. My parents are going to pull me out of it. And Dana's like, all right, we're going to your house and I'm going to talk to your parents. So he sits down and talks to his parents and Dana says, you can't let your know,
1: like hard cut to yeah. we're sitting in a house. Yep. And yeah.
0: he, he's preaching to Octavia's father, but you don't see his father yet. And, you know, it's, it just zooms in on Dana and he says, you can't let your ethnic narrow-mindedness top your son from thriving in our culture. And then Mr. Marquis says, I have to take exception to that characterization. And Dana says, Heywood's a bad boy. Now, granted, this is like 20 minutes into the film. He's still calling him Haywood. It says, Heywood's a bad boy. He's a gangbanger, a deadbeat, but he also has a gift. Mrs. Marquis says, who is Haywood?" And Dana <laughs> goes, Heywood, you blow me oh, I just got that. (laughs) (laughs) So it takes him almost like a third of the film to understand that Haywood's not his name. Heywood (laughs) Diploma. It's Octavia. (laughs) I I had tears in my eyes just watching Coogan's expression over that. But through this whole exchange, you find out that Octavio is an honor student. His parents are these like brilliant artists and um, academics. And the parents-
1: beautiful house.
0: Yeah. Beautiful yeah. house. And, and the parents with no gutters, I think, or what yeah, was no it? Gutters. <laughs> Cause he well, offers to clean his gutters Tucson, I mean.
1: Arizona. I mean, yeah. does it ever rain.
0: No, but it, there's another funny line there. Oh. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, basically the parents are objecting to the idea of a sequel to one of the greatest literary works in history. And as they're putting, you know, their reasoning of why they don't want Octavia, uh, Octavio in this play, um, then you've got Dana sort of turning the table and just begging to have Octavio's father to help him with like critiquing his play and changing. Because yes, he wants else. some notes. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, yeah. and I'll, I'll clean your gutters." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "We don't have gutters on the house." So, um, but I I love that whole sequence because it takes that whole dangerous minds or, you know, the, the Hispanic kid that comes into a high school is obviously going to be from an impoverished home Mm. and parents that don't understand everything. And it just totally flips that on its head and and basically says, um, I, I feel like it's a middle finger to Hollywood a little bit because it's basically taking all the stereotypes of all these high school films that come out about inner city kids and just saying, um, nope. parents are way more educated than the teachers the kid <laughs> is a superstar they just don't like the fact that you're trying to mess with you know William Shakespeare's greatest play I, I love that whole sequence but again it's a great example of the social com- the the social commentary um, that is blended so well in the comedy and it's just all consistent it's consistently mm-hmm. funny yep I well, we just talked about it He's he's I love every movie he brings. Mr. Holland's Opus. He he mentions that one. Uh, Dangerous Mom. What high
1: school? What high schooler in two thousand eight has seen Mr. Holland's Opus?
0: Uh, I think Rand and Epiphany have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I love that. Um, I love the entire concept of the Rock Me Sexy Jesus song. I mean, we'll mm-hmm. talk about the songs in a minute, but. His his justification for it, I thought, was hilarious, where if Jesus would come back today, he'd have to market himself as sexy in order to get any attention from the public, so he's got to have swimmer abs. they <laughs> would have a swimmer's body. Yeah, swimmer's body. Um, that is freaking hysterical because it's spot on, in my opinion. <laughs> what What do you guys think about Rand's homosexual repression? So this gets played throughout the entire film, where... It starts to kind of I don't know come out in these certain sequences, and then all of a sudden Rand becomes sort of a villain for the film at one part, mm-hmm. but then totally comes back around. And the next thing you know, he's he's in he's in the play. Um, how did you think that was handled? Because that that is a big social comment um, within that character, and it is played for laughs. But there's also some messaging going on there. But what, what did you think of it, Cam? I thought it was done really well,
2: actually, because. At the end, it kind of showed how everyone c- suppressed sexuality, and so he had to go to therapy and had to take pills just to let his sexuality come out in the end. But, like, it kind of shows, like, like th- with his actions, like, it kind of makes the stereotypical gay guy, like, through his actions and stuff like that, when he's walking off stage, like, uh, like flailing his arms or something like that. Uh, but then at the end, it kind of shows that he was being suppressed this entire time by society, and now he's, he was actually able to come back and he was able to finally accept everything.
0: Okay. What about you, Brad?
1: I, re- I read it a little differently. And uh, this is kind of my main beef with the movie. Um, everyone kind of treats him as, and, and, and this is speaking as me as a, as a straight white guy. So um, I don't want to kind of preface that. But to treat him as if he is gay already. Like everyone kind of treats him as they already know he is the gay sort of theater Um, Student, And he doesn't really get to have the moment where he is able to come out on his own terms, which I I kind of find a a little not great. And even at the very end, he just kind of comes out and and, it kind of somewhat says it to, to Dana, but I I don't know. I, it bothered me a little bit that, um, you know, we're, we're looking at this gay character Um, he's the only one that turns on Dana um, halfway through the film and he's kind of the villain for a little bit. Now he does have his redemption stuff, but you know, to kind of take away his moment of being able to say, yes, I'm gay and I'm okay with it or whatever, to just have the the students in the class kind of, treat, already treat him as the gay character. You know what I'm saying? Like he should have the moment where he's able to come out and say it on his own terms. It's kind of my, my big beef with the movie, I guess. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Like, I think it does. I would say I was a little confused about this character and and it took multiple viewings to kind of come to, I think, terms with it. Cause I, I get you, Brad. It's like, I, I think the first couple of times I watched it, it was I, I'm expecting a more traditional story arc where you have this character who he he doesn't know why he has his feelings for the teacher, right? Because yeah. he, he yep. just wants his attention um, and he's looking for guidance and everything else. And he was getting that. And all of a sudden he's not getting it anymore. And as a result, he's turning around and saying, okay, I've got all this anger and I'm I'm throwing it back. And then, in, you know, the next thing you go, he becomes, I don't villains, probably not the best term, but he becomes an antagonist for some of the plot points that end up getting the play shut down. Yeah, and then he yeah. goes through this redemptive arc where he comes back and he's saying, okay, here's what happened. I got some therapy. I went through this. Da da And then, oh, I, I found out who I am. And by the way, I forgive you. And Dana's like, uh, oh, okay. I mean, Dana's still oblivious to Mm -hmm. what's going on with this. So I I think it kind of comes down to there's something being said about, you know, homosexual repression within sort of a younger student. It is played for laughs, but I also think it doesn't go over the top and it's more nuanced. And you actually see Rand start to deal with these things and you start to understand that Rand is always looking at Dana as a father figure, and this movie is about you know their people and their fathers and Rand forgives Dana Dana forgives his father even though he does it in the role as Jesus Christ forgiving his father <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know Octavio. I, I read Rand is like having affection like maybe less of a father figure and more as a like a like he was attracted and into Dana more as less than a less of a father and more of like. I'm into this person and I, I don't know why, um, I I don't know. I mean that, that I think maybe less like, maybe not sexually, but like I have feelings for this man and I don't know what it's about. Um, I think that could be there, but I, for, yeah.
0: I, I, also think there's, there's a little bit, this whole movie, I mean, is kind of tackling, you know, daddy issues yeah. At yeah some point. I mean, So I, I think it's funny that he gives that line at the end that just says, I forgive you. And Dana's like, okay. I mean, to Dana's point, what I like about Dana's character is Dana doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He is just likes Rand. So he's not concerned about what Rand's sexuality is. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wants Rand to come back and be a part of the play. Yeah, He doesn't lecture him or anything else of that nature. He's like, well, hurry up. You got to get on stage if you're going to be a part of this. I mean, he openly accepts him. And so you see Rand kind of go through the story arc. Um, I, I I like that. Like I said, it's nuanced. I can't even totally figure it out at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that I, I think... I think there's something there and I like that it's not as black and white. It's not his big moment. It's not a speech and it kind of stops the film. It's more of a, it's playing out as a character throughout of it. Um, and again, an endearing quality about Dana is he's just accepting everybody. He doesn't care about the color, the race. He's just like, we got to put on this play. I want you to be a part of it. Um, if, 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 if you have, you know, these preferences, great. Don't care if you're of this color. Great. Don't care we we got to put on hamlet too mm-hmm. um well, and well, I,
1: rain it, rain is not defined by sexuality which i think is actually really good yeah and, like, and, and that's yeah, another the,
0: quality to it i mean it, it's yeah it's a byproduct of the character but it's not the whole reason of of rand existing mm-hmm.
1: yeah and the latino characters aren't defined by their ethnicity and and all that so yeah you're you're right about that i just i don't know i just wish it was played a little bit better but i do get like they're, like it It gets to like points where it's like really good about some of that stuff. And then I feel like it, it backtracks a little bit. It's like it's one step forward, two steps back, but they, they handle it better than some stuff, but I, I wish it was a little bit better because of the fact they're, they're kind of tackling high school drama, which, you know, right then and there you're like, okay, stereotypical. One of these um, you know, white kids is going to be gay. And you're like, well, Okay, let's not. I don't know. You're, you're right. You articulated it better than me.
2: I think it's more of set up for interpretation because he goes through a lot of like his issues off screen. You yeah. don't see most of it. You just kind of see what. The outcome of that is but he goes through a lot of it off screen which shows interpretation like he could be looking up to him as a father or as just like a best friend that's looking for like um, acceptance even though he doesn't see that he already is accepted
0: you know that's a that's a good point i i I love the fact that his acceptance was always kind of whether or not dana was giving him the lead role or Mm -hmm. dana's attention that's where he's getting his acceptance from and then when it's not there because it has to be shared with somebody else he's coming back as a character and just saying i'm okay with that like mm-hmm. and uh, again i i think that i forgive you lends itself more to that father relationship mm-hmm. that he had you know with dana yeah. but you're absolutely right everything is happening off screen with this character and he comes back in and it makes sense i i, I used to feel the first couple times i saw it was a to your point Brad, it, it, it was the wonky piece of the comedy or the social commentary but yep. I, I'm kind of like Cameron. I've seen this thing like five, six times now, and that character resonates me with a little, a little bit more because I, I'm starting to pick up on the nuance with it, and I think they did something very smart and unique with that character that you just don't see mm-hmm. um, within those. Because you're right. I mean, you get the stereotypical guy who's a homosexual. It's in theater, etc. Um, but you know, really, it's about Rand coming to terms with. Does he feel comfortable with himself? Does he accept himself versus trying to get that acceptance everywhere else? I, I think that's a real positive message.
1: And
2: I think he finally yeah, I, finds I, out what acceptance actually is rather than just it being a physical form. Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, and Whenever you watch it, like I'll, I'll go back and and make sure I, I look at that and, and see if maybe I just misread it the first time because it is a little tonally different than like this outrageous comedy to have some of this uh, social commentary be so sort of heavy and, you know, a guy is jumping up in the air and his balls are hanging out, you know, it's like <laughs> they, they have it both ways. And sometimes that's hard to pick up the first time. Cause it's, again, you're, you're watching a man skate around and throw a trash can at girl, you know, it's just all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go back and watch it again and see if I can change my mind on that. Well,
0: that, that's a good segue. So we we talked about the comedy and the social commentary. So the social comedy. Um, well, let's talk about the other funny stuff. I mean, the, this film. I don't want to give everybody the impression that oh, this is you know this is just a a movie that is really just concentrating on all these topics mm-hmm. and you have to pay attention to that, etc. I mean, on its surface, it's kind of a dumb comedy. Um, like one, my favorite thing is the physical comedy with Yolanda. So that's the student that's always oh, yeah. getting hurt from the trash cans and the wire work. And I mean, she delivers the best pratfalls I think I've seen since like Steve Martin's days in the 70s. Mm.
1: Is she the one at the very end when she talks, everyone is surprised or is that a different yes.
0: girl? Okay. Yep, that's Yolanda. Um, and you already talked about, and I I always have tears in my eyes, but it's that Dana on roller skates trying to buy alcohol is one of the best physical gags because I... I don't know what it is. It's just absolutely hilarious, the way he pulls it off, where he just rams mm-hmm. into that truck, and then he's trying to stand up while he's getting his money out and everything in there, and asking about the grain
1: alcohol, knocking down the pictures and everything. Don't buy grain alcohol if it's eight dollars. Don't do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you, you'll that, that is a bad that's a bad mixture. Okay.
0: Note to self. Um, <laughs> did you guys have any other like I-, I would say classic, not necessarily the social commentary moments, but just just the general comedy. I think
2: when he's writing the script for Hamlet two or finishing it, just that like five minutes of him writing the script is one of the funniest scenes in the film. Oh, is that when he's yelling at the cat? Yeah, <laughs> it's, one, it's it's a very basic comedy, but it's it's so funny. It's it's just perfect because of his acting.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of uh, Steve Coogan in this film, don't you? Yeah. Especially in that scene. I, you, you can see his I entire think, backside.
1: <laughs> I think the uh, the herpes infomercial is pretty funny. I'm having a herpes outbreak right now, but she wouldn't know it. Um, that's good.
0: I, I love the freshman school uh, critic, theater critic. <laughs> yeah. That kid is hilarious. I, I love that Dana is always going to him for advice. And um, even when he writes that whole, I don't know, op-ed about free speech and everything else and, and Dana's like I don't understand any of it
1: well he's the scathing uh, review of Aaron Brockovich right yes yeah Yeah. so you think he's going to be the villain of the film or whatever and then it turns out Dana goes to him for advice and stuff so yeah he's got a good kind of turn as well
0: yeah in the, the sequence at the fertility I mean he busts out his little keyboard at the fertility oh, yeah. clinic to to write a song about being at the fraternity clinic <laughs> that that's so funny. <laughs> um, can, can we talk about the songs for a minute? Oh my god.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: So <clears throat> there, there are two songs that aren't original uh, that are sung by the Tucson Gay Men's Chorus. Uh, quick trivia fact, though, that is not the Tucson Gay's Men Gay Men's Chorus. It's actually the Albuquerque Gay Men's Chorus. So a little trivia for you. <gasps> I, I I don't know if it's because Tucson doesn't have a Gay Men's Chorus, mm-hmm. but that chorus is from Albuquerque. Um, mm-hmm. They do "Maniac," mm-hmm. uh, which is from the Flashdance film. So they do a, a version of that, and also a version of an Elton John song, "Someone saved My Life Tonight." Mm-hmm. They are fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, got, I would I would buy the Tucson Gay Men's Chorus album just based on those two songs alone. They're so good.
2: And they fit so well with the scene that was happening at the moment. Like the music always fits so well yes. with everything in this
0: movie. Then we get to the uh, the original songs. <laughs> um, the the first one titled, and, and it comes from a line that I think Dana says at the beginning of the film. And uh, the song is called raped in the face. Oh. <laughs> 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 Uh, that song's brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant is one way to put it. Yes. yes. Follows (laughs) up with the rock me sexy Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, Brad, but I think, well, no, 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 it doesn't. It's raped in the face. And then you're as gay as the day is long is playing in the background. It's in the background while he's coming to, while uh, Rand is coming to acceptance of his gayness. Right. So I don't know if you. You paid attention. That song shows up in the credits. Oh, okay. But you can hear it in the back. So if you listen to the credits, you will hear the whole mm-hmm. song. You're as gay as the day is long. It It's absolutely hysterical, but it's actually playing in the background before you get to the big song, mm-hmm. which is um, Rock Me Sexy Jesus. Now, had, had you heard of this song before? I had not. Brad?
1: I had not heard of Rock Me Sexy Jesus. Can you walk us
0: through what your reaction was to this to this, I don't know, just th- to me, this is, it stops the film and it just becomes its own thing. It's that good.
1: Yeah. At, at this point, it's like, go, goes up a whole nother level. Um, you know, I am not a huge ma- musical person. So the music has to be like super funny, um, sort of like that movie, like pop star or this. And this is one of those moments where you're like, okay, this, this movie is uh not scared and is definitely going for it. Him dressed up as Jesus, uh, walking on water. The walking on water part's great. Uh, when they're supposed to be got,
0: surfing, right? And he's walking yeah, on water. Yep.
1: He's got like the the wife beater and jeans on. It's it's sort of like a grease sort of style too. It's it's great. It's really really good. You know, I didn't really know what I was getting into because I knew it was coming. Um, I knew he was going to be Jesus. I just didn't know there was going to be this music to accompany it. It was pretty great.
0: Uh, do you, did you end up humming it afterwards for like oh, days? Oh, I've been
1: singing "Rock Me Sexy Jesus" for like two days. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: can do you even remember the first time you saw this film and came to that moment? Um, all I can remember is that my sides hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I, it. They show bits of it in the trailer, and I don't think anything can do it justice until you see it in its full form. Mm-hmm. But, you, I don't know, don't go to YouTube and just watch it on its own. I mean, you can, but it's much better in the context of the film because they're they're explaining the number when they're doing rehearsal and he's explaining the scene that leads up to the song, Rock Me Sexy Jesus, and then you have the one guy in the background going, I, I think we're going to hell for doing this play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but their whole explanation of what was going out in the scene, et cetera. And then next thing you know, you, you get this song coming on. And then of course the Christian protesters run to the front of the stage and they're holding their Bibles up praying, uh, you know, to, to end this thing. And they've got this whole, I don't know, fifties, bebop, rock me, sexy Jesus sequence going on and everything's happening. Like you said, Brad, the first time I saw it, I, I literally, had to stop and rewind. I, I wasn't laughing. I was just in shock. I'm like, did I just see what I saw? Because I, th- I think that has to be one of the greatest comedic moments ever. <laughs> and Steve Coogan, I I believed he's like, Jesus come back with full marketing power in a swimmer's bod, walking on water with the surfers.
1: Did I- you ever hear the story uh, when Jim Caviezel was playing jesus christ and passion of the christ he was struck by lightning no what? what yeah he was struck by lightning during the filming of of uh passion of the christ i almost wonder if steve coogan was struck by lightning or something because this is almost you know it's maybe a little blasphemous but it's it's funny obviously jim Caviezel isn't isn't funny but uh I, yeah i just thought i was thinking about that when i was watching this movie is like Ah, Steve Coogee gonna get struck by lightning at some point in time. <laughs> well, he brought
0: the Christians around. All of a sudden, one of them's like, Oh, I totally get it now. This song isn't offensive. And then they, you know, they start to sing it up in the front, except for that one parent who's in the background um throughout the entire film, going, It's blasphemy, it's disgraceful. I mean, he's, he's not buying it. But the entire audience at that point is totally into the song. But yeah, and and then they end the play as a montage. With the uh, Tucson Gay Men's Chorus singing the Elton John song, Someone Saved My Life Tonight. And that's where you get the dramatic beats, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, forgive My Father, et cetera. I love that whole montage, that sequence. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would buy the soundtrack for everything on here. But I, I think um, Rock Me Sexy Jesus and then Someone Save My Life Tonight are, are just the highlights right there.
1: <laughs> Dude, I, I, I could have used like 15 more minutes of the play. Like oh, I really? wanted more. I wanted so much more, but <laughs> I know cause they're obviously they're building up to it. It's the whole, it's the third act like reveal of here's this play, you know, and it actually like starts off really cool. I had that white sheet that like falls down and everything. I mean, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's actually like really cool the way they did it. And I just, I wanted more, like I wanted to see more music. I wanted to see, you know, there's a part where he's talking to his father on this like video screen. And it's like, Really, sort of ambient and stuff like that, and like that's the part where you're getting into like the father issues things, like asking for forgiveness and all this stuff. I was like, oh man, this movie is literally going places I did not think it was going Um, well, yeah. And you've got that great Elton
0: John song playing in the background as they're going through that. Um, and then, and then even the comedy, the dad joke that comes out of Steve Coogan, where it's Hamlet and Jesus getting out of the time machine. And he goes, uh, hey, you got my cell number? He's like, sure. And he goes, dude, I think my dad is going to crucify me. (laughs) There's, oh, God, I'm, I'm with you. I would love to see the play as a whole. Yeah. But at the same time, what they give you is so good. I don't think anything else they could have showed me would have lived up to my expectations because in my head. It's just built up. It's it's kind of like you know everything that you see that's so great in a movie, mm-hmm. and then somebody comes along. And it's like well, we're going to give you the backstory of it, or we're going to show you how this all came about, and then at, it's never as you're, good. You're
1: as, talking about the prequels. You're you're yes. literally talking about the prequels. It's never as
0: good as what's in your head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm I'm glad that they kind of stopped at what they showed us from a Hamlet two perspective because it just gives your chance uh, your brain a chance to go and and just well what else would that would that story have been about with the time machine and picking up Jesus and, you know, stopping uh, Ophelia from, you know, jumping into the waters or anything else? I, I mean, I, I love that whole concept of it. Um, and you get to see a montage of what's going on. And and I I wanted more, but I'm glad they didn't give me more, if that makes sense. Yeah, it
2: was, it was perfectly cut. And it, they perfectly did like as much as they needed to and as much as they wanted to. And, and if they did any more, I feel like it would kind of ruin it and stretch it. And then you'd kind of feel like that consistency is lost, but you are feeling wanting more, but you are glad it ended.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I guess it's not bad when you leave a film and you're wanting more.
0: No, that, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, that's how yep. good that last sequence is. Um, I don't know. Is there, is there anything else? I mean, we, we've talked about the comedy, the performances, the music. I, I think we've done a good it's job hard, selling it's it. It's
1: really hard to talk about comedies. It is because you're like, oh, that's funny, and this is funny. Whole movie's funny, but you know this one surprisingly has some depth to it. Like we talked about Thirteenth Warrior, we're like, ah, it's an action film with like zero depth, and we're talking about a comedy. It's like actually there's some stuff going on with this one that's not as surface as you would think. About you know with something about. A guy singing "Rock Me, Sexy Jesus." Like, there's a lot going on.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's up there. I mean, South Park, uh, the the film, even the TV show, uh, and and Team America: World Police. I mean, they're good comedies because they're trying to say something on top of being funny. I would have to go back and revisit those other two, mm-hmm. but I for I'll tell you this: I've seen Hamlet two more than those other two films. Because this one makes me laugh consistently.
2: I think it has a lot of replayability to it because you're missing a lot of things because so much
0: is being given to you at one time.
2: Yeah. So you can't catch everything on the first watch through.
0: Yeah, and, and those other two films, I I, I think they're funny. I mm-hmm. just I don't laugh every minute the way that mm-hmm. I laugh watching this thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time, but I remember liking both of them a lot. Yeah, them. they're.
0: I think they're. His, I oh, think they're hilarious. Yeah, they're hysterical. Yeah, but I, if given a choice, it's like which one do you want to watch again? I probably always gravitate to Hamlet too. I, I think it's that good. Um, but I, I, I like musicals too. Uh, now don't get me wrong. I, well, I like seeing Marionette the
1: South Park movie is a musical.
0: It, it is. And I like those aspects of it. And I like the Marionette action puppet stuff is funny, but, um, uh, and, and it's got some music to it as well. I mean, they're all three of them are musicals to a certain degree. Yeah. So, uh, freedom it, isn't free this freedom is not free. <laughs> well, uh, what are your final thoughts on this cam? I mean, it, it I'm going to ask you the question and I need to, I need to know, I think I know, but um, Ooh, since, suspense. Yeah. Since you've seen this five or six times, we just got done having a, a good time talking about Hamlet Two, the sequel to Shakespeare's Hamlet mm-hmm. um, is Hamlet Two a bomb.
2: No. And also I do have to add it has one of the best, funniest end credits, because when they're walking around New York, they're just circling the same square, and then they have the greatest outro song, which is,
0: you're as gay as the day is long. Yes. Okay, so it's not a bomb. It's not a bomb. And I, I agree with all those comments. <laughs> all right, Brad, This I I was worried how you were going to uh, take to this one, but um, Hamlet 2, what do you think of it? Is is it a bomb?
1: Not a bomb. You were were you were you scared that I wasn't gonna think this is very good? Uh,
0: comedies and horror movies, I I always find super hard from a recommendation because even though we've known each other for a long time and we've talked about tons of movies, I kind of thought you would like it. I didn't know if you were gonna love it, but I can't ever be a hundred percent on those two genres because I do find you know what scares people is different. Um, And what makes people laugh is, is different. Um, I I think there's some universals out there. Uh, Yes.
1: I think there's a lot of universals, especially, I don't know. This one might not be as, like, I I don't know if I'm recommending this to everybody. Um, When I see like critics are like 60% and the audience is like at 60%, I'm like, ah, that, that might be about right. Like I know six out of 10 people who will probably think this is hilarious. And four people who, don't have a funny bone in their body. So yeah, sure. Like that's close. Okay.
0: So you're putting in the but it's not uh, a bomb. It's not a bomb. bomb. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I would
0: probably I don't know, in 2008, I could see how this was pretty funny. Um and it might have garnered that 6 out of 10. I think in 2021 because of how things have played out, uh it's funnier. So I think a lot a lot of people would look at this today and go um yeah, it it speaks to the world a little bit more poignantly than maybe it did in 2008. But, um, I I don't know, this film is definitely not a bomb. It is really funny, but it also surprisingly, it has this inspirational message where everybody deserves a second chance. I mean, they, they, they say that about, you know, why he did Hamlet too. It's because he didn't like how it ended and everybody deserves a second chance. Um, he even goes on to say Hamlet, with you know therapy, could have worked things out, and everybody didn't have to die. So that's that's his perception of Hamlet. And you know the Dana character, his play is a way to work out his inner demons. Obviously, he had father issues, or you know that played into his insecurity. But ultimately, I am a big fan of any character that has this gonzo optimism. That is infectious, uh, or that is infectious. Yeah, infectious, not infection. Infectious, yes. infectious. Yeah, that's that's the word I'm trying to look. No, I'm not soft. English major. Yeah, um, but no, that Gonzo optimism. It, I I want to latch onto it, and I love this character. I I love that you know he get he takes all these tra- tragic moments that are happening to him, and he writes his own happy ending. Um, and I love this film to sum it up, it's like profanity with heart. That's how I would describe Hamlet, <laughs> too it's It's profanity with heart yeah uh absolutely love it.
1: I can absolutely see why this movie did not do well
0: i I do as well, but i I also think I, I mean, I think everybody who's listening, if you haven't seen this, give it a chance man.
2: yeah
1: yeah, yeah but again, in two thousand and eight with everything else, they released this movie in the summer, and, you know, I think it was just it's a hard movie to sell yeah so I, I get why it didn't make money
2: it was a hard movie to market and it wasn't in just it's timely matter of when it came out
0: yeah and and again if, if you're dealing with something that is going to have this dumb comedy with the social commentary that like I said I, I appreciate the poster for what it is but it's not selling me on the film and the trailer's pretty basic it's not horrible mm-hmm. it tells you what it is and you chuckle But neither the poster nor the trailer really even scratched the surface to how funny this thing is. Yep. Well, (laughs) you already talked about this when, when I mentioned Hamlet too, and you didn't know about it. And you said, uh, so I got to go brush up on Hamlet and, and I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. So you and I, and we'll talk about Cameron here in a minute. Um, (laughs) you and I decided, yeah, let's, let's go for the longest version um, the definitive version, and we both went back and revisited 1996's Hamlet. Now, full yes, disclosure, uh, Cameron tried to revisit. Uh, well, no, it was first time viewing for you. First time, yeah. How long did you make it?
2: Uh, maybe about like 20 minutes, 30 minutes into it. I had a very long <laughs> wow, day. Wow, they, they weren't
0: even getting married yet.
2: <laughs> I had a very long day that day.
0: <laughs> I was going to say you made it almost an hour. Yeah. Uh, it it's about 45 oh, okay. minutes, and then he fell asleep. And then he woke up, um, and I don't know how you watched it. He's Brad. like, "Oh, what happened? Everyone's dead." <laughs> I did. I had, I, had, I had to stop it. I'm like, "All right, here's where we're at."
1: Wow. This is what <laughs> this summarized. I did what I had, has
0: happened to him. because like, this is we're not even to the intermission yet. I'm like, "Okay, so we, this is what he saw his dad's ghost." <laughs> Dad told him what happened. Yep. And so I, I brought him up to speed, and then uh, I broke this up into two settings. I watched the first part up to intermission on a Friday night. And then watch the second part the next morning. And I got to tell you, even though I broke it up into two viewings, I was really anxious to get back into it. Uh, I was kicking myself that night in bed like, man, I I can go back down and just finish it. But (laughs) we were going to have a big day. So but. I'm gonna start with you, Brad. Cameron, you can jump in when you feel <laughs> that your 40 minute viewing can contribute. <laughs> um, what did What did you think about revisiting this? Real, real quick. Can I read through who's in this film? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you got Kenneth Branagh as Hamlet, <laughs> Julie Christie as Gertrude, Derek Jacobi as Claudius, Kate Winslet as Ophelia, uh, Michael Maloney as Laertes. Then, I mean, you get Richard Attenborough in a in a part. Charlton Heston, Jack Lemmon, Brian Blessed. Now, for those who don't know who Brian Blessed is, he's Hawkman from the uh, Flash Gordon movie. Uh, he plays Hamlet's father. Um, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Judy Dench, Gerard Depardieu, and Rufus Sewell are all in Hamlet. I mean, that that is a fantastic cast. So what what did you think about re- revisiting this, this drama?
1: It is absolutely a beautiful film. Kate Winslet is... Her performance, I think... And I don't want to be hyperbolic, but one of the best performances I've ever seen in cinema, period. She's so period. good. So good. And, you know, there's this movie, like I was surprised at like how technically sound it was like super long takes. You're going to be blown away by just how good it looks. And I mean, they're tackling something like Hamlet, which is, you know, most people know the story and it was still like felt fresh to me. And, you know, it, this movie is just all performance driven and well, not all it's performance driven in like the like the sets and the setting and all the stuff around it. Like the art direction in this movie is crazy. And I think like the budget of this film was 18 million, $18 million. Yeah. $18 million. They made this movie. They made a four hour movie for $18 million and it has some huge names in it. Now, This movie is a bomb. Also, um, the reason it's a bomb is, A, it's a four-hour movie, and, B, I think it was really limited in its release, so it really never had much of a chance. Um, I will say 1997... Academy Awards. Um, Hamlet was nominated for four awards. It didn't win any, and Kate Winslet was not nominated for Best Supporting Actress, which I think is a tragedy. That's
0: um, uh, you know reason number seventy-four why the Academy Awards yeah. are dumb.
1: I you know I watched it all in one setting, and I was happy I did. The first little bits of hey, we're we're this is a a Shakespearean play, so here's the way we're going to talk is a little jarring but after that it's like second nature and it is really not distracting anymore. I, I think this might be my favorite Shakespearean adaptation, you know, the the Romeo and Juliet with uh with DiCaprio you know was probably my favorite just because like I grew up and that's kind of what I saw the first time, but this one is like technically a way better movie. Um,
0: even over the Akira uh, Kurosawa like Oh, ran? Yeah.
1: Uh, mm, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. a tough one. I, I'll say this: that's I, King Bear, though, which I, I think Hamlet is a better story. Like, you're already, it's like it, it's not really a fair comparison because like King Bear is like fine, but Hamlet is Hamlet. So, yeah. like, your source material is better. So, I, I agree. I eight,
0: this does not look like an eighteen million dollar film.
1: It, oh, it looks like a hundred million dollar film.
0: <laughs> like, literally, it does. I know it takes place for the most part in one setting. So they're using, you know, the, the same area. So you get a lot of the same rooms, etc. that, that hall that you have some yeah. scenes in is just absolutely gorgeous. I am with you. It took me about 15 minutes to get adjusted to sort of the early modern English and verse because they are pulling it direct. Mm-hmm. Um, but my goodness, you are so drawn into the performances and to the world. You feel like you're, you're actually there it's extremely realistic. And the four hours, even though I broke it into like two settings, which one's a little more than two hours than I I don't know where the intermission specifically comes in, but it, I don't know. It, like I said, I was super anxious to get back into it. I was kicking myself for splitting it up because even when I walked away from it, I'm like, man, I want to keep going, but it didn't feel like four hours. Um, didn't feel like Anything to you, right, Cam? You're in, <laughs> la la land. but I mean, of what you saw, Cam, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it, and the
2: thing that was weird to me was it took me a while to get used to the like the Shakespearean language, and then I fell asleep, and I came back up to it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I understand this perfectly."
0: What is happening?
1: <laughs> you're getting it all like in your sleep, like you're getting it through <laughs> osmosis. That's what
0: you need to do, you need to sleep on my Yale Shakespeare. I know it's a big book, but just put that under your pillow, and it'll all sink in.
1: I definitely think you should go back and and finish it mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to finish it
2: but from what I saw the acting was phenomenal and I really enjoyed the story so
0: far I I it, there was a a comment when Cameron uh Cameron Cameron woke up <laughs> so at the beginning of Hamlet obviously you're introduced to him as a character where he's brooding about his father's death etc and so Cameron wakes up at the part where Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are there and Hamlet's kind of going mad a little bit or, or everybody's assuming he's going mad and they can't think figure out why wow. he's going mad. Yep. So he's, he's having a lot of fun with those two Pokemon. And then when, you know, the, the players or the acting troupe shows up and Hamlet gets all excited, Cameron had made this comment, like, wow, I, I can't believe that's the same actor from the beginning. And you know, as, as amazing as Kate Winslet is, I think Kenneth, he was born to play Hamlet. I mean, he is so good in this film he owns the language. He owns the performance. Um, and what was funny is the next morning, Cameron's like, look, wake me up. I want to finish it with you. And I intentionally didn't wake him up because Hamlet is always one of the plays. And it's one of the stories that kind of get to me, uh, towards the end. I, I, I do, you know, somebody's chopping onions in the room kind of thing. And I I always feel it tearing up a little bit, uh, with Ophelia's death, but with Kate Winslet, Oh, my God, I, I was I was snot bubbles and sobbing and everything else because she's so good. I mean, yeah, was, I had a breakdown um, when she died and uh, it it was a gut punch.
1: And it was definitely a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, they got it. I mean, and I've slept on kid of my whole life and and now I kind of feel bad about it.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I I went to the I went to the point where I'm like, well, got to go back and revisit uh, Henry V. So I, I pulled that out. Uh, went through the rest of my catalog and I'm like, Oh, I, I don't have a, what was the other one he did? Much ado about nothing. I remember that's, seeing that.
1: Yeah. And then he did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as well.
0: Yeah. But it much, I, I remember seeing that in the theater and liking it, but I was like, well, I, I got to go back and watch that. And now I'm curious to go back and, and visit the Mel Gibson version. It was only two hours. And I remember <sighs> yeah, and seeing that problem. in the theaters and, and kind of thinking it was okay. I liked it, but I, I don't know. I'm with you. Nothing. He- nothing I think comes close to this version.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the Lord's Olivier one is, is really good as well, it, but it's good. Yeah, It's pre 50. So yeah. like you're, you're limited on what you can do. Um, this one just looks like a million bucks. Like there's no two ways about it. I mean, they spent $18 million, but again, it looks like they spent a fortune on this movie and it's four hours, but like, like we've said, it goes by like it, really goes by i remember watching this in school and it's one of those moments where the the teacher pulls out the tv on the cart and you're like sweet and we're watching (laughs) hamlet so we got this thing for like a whole week it was great great. have you ever read the play oh yeah yeah we read it in high school yeah i'm not a i mean shakespeare is
0: always the one that i've always gravitated to reading the play and then go watch the film adaptation uh and and this made me pull out my my yale shakespeare and go back and read passages of hamlet because it's one of my favorites but if you're looking for something that gives you the the true scope of of that shakespeare's writing in its full format this is the one to go to in my opinion
1: yeah i i mean there's a reason why hamlet like still resonates with people i mean these these plays are i mean they're <laughs> are we gonna start talking about shakespeare and how great he is because i'm like we can but i mean there's a reason why it says the test of times for what 400 years so oh well it's acting yeah <laughs> um no i hey
0: listen folks um you, you don't have to watch hamlet or read hamlet or watch any of the iterations of hamlet in order to enjoy hamlet too but uh i don't know about you brad i i was kind of glad we did because yeah I,
1: I it had been too long and it was like a great excuse to be like okay like i'll just go back and watch this version that i've never seen Well, and it makes more sense, like
0: (laughs) Dana's character really resonated more because here's a drama teacher who obviously you think he's read Hamlet or knows Hamlet, understands the entire tragedy, is going through his own personal tragedy, uh, tragedy, and in a fit of all of that decides that he's going to make a sequel to the most tragic play by, you know, using a time machine device to turn it all into a happy ending, so... I, I really appreciated watching this and going, even though you don't have to have experienced Hamlet before you go into Hamlet two, it's kind of cool because now you sort of understand why he was so frustrated with that play and wanting to change everything because he saw his life sort of going to that same tragic pattern. And, and it added a little bit of appreciation that I, I didn't have by just watching it on its own. But like you said, it was an excuse to go back and revisit this thing because I hadn't seen it forever. Uh, and forgot how much I loved it. It's so good.
1: Yeah, my wife was like, "Hey, I I, I want to watch that," and my mom was like, "Okay, I'll I'll watch it again." I'm not, <laughs> It's funny because I've been complaining about how Gone, Gone with the, the Wind, Wind is, is four, four hours, <laughs> hour, and I'm getting ready to watch Hamlet twice in a few weeks, and it's four hours. But I guarantee Hamlet is much better than Gone with the Wind.
2: Yeah, I have a theory on why Hamlet is so good. It's because you understand the characters so well because of those long dialogues, because you understand what they're feeling and what they're thinking at that moment.
1: Oh, they will tell you how they're feeling. (laughs) Yes.
0: They're they're going to spell it out for you.
1: (laughs) And then they will tell you again, and they will tell you again, and they will tell you again. But you get to understand those
0: characters much more because of that. Well, yeah, and and that's what makes the ending such a gut punch. I mean, um, I'll say this, you know, in my 40s too, it's another piece of work that as I read it, or as I watch like this version of it, it it does make you question mortality a little bit because Hamlet Hamlet does have you know his famous speeches by the graveyard et cetera, and they resonate the older you get. I, I would be curious for you to sit down and watch it, and then you and I to sit down and have a conversation and just go okay, what would you think? What are some mm-hmm. of the themes? I'm not going to like high school English you um, to death on this, but. I think it's impressive, and and it, even if you're struggling, it, it is one of those films that I was I probably put it in at the wrong time for you because I know you had a long day. It is one of those films you got to be ready for, um, and you know if you can't handle the four hours, I think it works perfectly by just watching it up to the intermission, then picking it up the next day. Um, it it runs pretty smooth. Do yep. do not be intimidated by the runtime. I guess is what <laughs> I'm saying. Um, well, Brad, I. Before we get into, you know, just our typical how to reach out to us and, and even talk about next week's film, um, do we want to talk about an email that came through?
1: Yes, we do. Um, this is from V, who, a little bit of context, um, came onto our show a, about a month ago, maybe, and is slowly kind of going through the cast show. So she told me she's not listening to any of the new ones until she gets through all the old ones. Yeah, she started so, with
0: the uh, prequel, which was Zero, yeah, and yeah. has been going through all of them.
1: So it says, even though I'm always tweeting, I figured I'd send an actual email. As you've realized by now, I'm starting from first episode and working my through. That doesn't always happen. Love the show. Love the guests. I do love my own reaction tweets. Oh, I, I love to do my own reaction tweets to the episode. One day I'll get caught up, but I just want you all to know how much I enjoy the show. We appreciate that as well. Um,
0: we love your tweets.
1: Yes, I do. They, I do, they make I, my day, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen, I, I, I read them and then she was talking about one episode and I was like, okay, I have to go back in and, and listen to it. Um, oh, it was event horizon or something like that. So I was like, okay, I have to go back and listen to event horizon. So I did. Cause it's funny. Like you edit the show. I do a quick QA on it just to make sure everything sounds good. And then i post post it up and put it out. Um, our podcast, our process flow, if you will, is, is pretty limited on, you know, our, what we do. And so once I listen to it, you know, QAing it with you, I don't listen to it when it comes out because I've already listened to it. And then when she started kind of telling me about some stuff that we were saying and all this stuff, I'm like, all right, I, I've got to go back. Cause I don't remember any of this stuff and um, it's been fun. So do you like the sound of your own voice? No one does. Right.
0: Uh, of course I love the sound of my, I love to hear myself um, talk all the time. Cameron can, oh God, Cameron can I cannot, uh, attest to that, right? I can I, very much attest to that.
1: <laughs> I hate the sound of my voice. And then I'm always picking up on all these things I say when I'm, you know, when the gears are turning in my head and, oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I'm like, Brad, you have to stop saying this. And then it gets in my head and whatever, but no, thank you for listening. Um, and going back and, and starting at zero and, kind of playing catch up with us um, one day you'll get there. We keep releasing episodes every Tuesday. So you gotta, you gotta push, press the gas a little bit.
0: No, I, um, I, I got it. I can't say this enough. I get so excited when one of her comments come through and like you, Brad, it makes me want to go back and I will listen to bits and pieces of episodes that she references and I'll start laughing because I'm like you, I, I can't remember some of the things I said. Um, and you've said some things. <laughs> I have said some things. Um, <laughs> So hey, internet,
1: <laughs> don't hate me. <laughs> Did you see um, our our other email from Kevin, where uh, he uh, was traveling internationally and he took some pictures of his uh, not a bomb T-shirt while he was out internationally? No, I missed that uh, one. I haven't. Oh, you have to you have to look at it. But I wanted to bring that email up. It is not an email really to for comments or anything like that. He just wanted to show us that he had his shirt on while he was visiting some places, but. We never talk about our merchandise, but we have merchandise. Um, if you go to our website and click on the merch button, uh, we have a t-shirt available. Uh, we have well, a bunch of stuff available, but only one sort of logo. But Troy and I have some other ones um, ready to be released on new stuff. Uh, so those will be coming in a little bit. So if you want to you know, support the show and stuff like that, you can order stuff from our merch store.
0: Yeah. And, and Hey, look folks at the end of the day, supporting the show is just really telling other people about it. Yeah. Um, We don't do this for profit. We're not uh, creating a Patreon account and asking for anything from anybody. Um, If anything, we are asking for more stuff like V just play along with us. Tell us what your favorite bomb is. Tell us what you think of movies like Hamlet too. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you're going to take a chance on it. We'd, we'd love to know if you liked it or hated it and what we got right and wrong with that one. Um, obviously everything you said, Cameron's right. So we, we assume everybody's going to agree with you.
1: I am Dude, There's a picture alright. of one of our fans with a not a bomb t-shirt in front of a castle. So I am done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, listen, if anybody wants to send in an email or I don't know, recommend some more bombs, how do they do that?
1: That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, if you want to reach out there, we usually do pretty well about you know, if you message us on those platforms, we get back to you pretty quick. You know, I get notifications all the time about stuff. So it's just one more, which I'll answer it. It's I don't care. Speaking of castles, Troy.
0: Uh oh. Are we gonna talk about right? next week's movie? You like that segue? That was fantastic that was that sounded almost professional. Yes. That was hey, um, Brad, that was fantastic acting. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was not in drama. Oh, sorry. I'm bad. Anyway. We are going back in time to 1986 for the fantasy action adventure film. It's British. It is Highlander. Oh, wow. Highlander. Oh, boy. So there are probably 10 films in my life that I've seen 100 times. Highlander is one of them.
0: Um, How about Highlander 2 or Highlander 3 or Highlander the TV show? How many Highlander movies are there?
1: There's a lot. I've seen okay. I believe I've seen them all. I haven't seen the TV show, but I've seen quite a few Highlander movies. Um
0: so obviously there can be more than
1: one. There can be more than well, yes. And <laughs> and we get to talk about Clancy Brown next week too. So I'm pretty excited about that. And Christopher Lambert. Lambert. Yes. Lambert? Lambert.
0: Do you, do you say the T no? T silent? Yes, Lambert. Christopher Lambert. Lambert. Okay. Lord Raiden. Uh, and Sean Connery. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, this will be fun. I am with you. Highlander was one of the films that, uh, I, I have the sound, obviously queen did the soundtrack. So we'll talk about that. It's one of those VHS rentals that we rented over and over and over again. So I've seen it as many times as you. Um, I don't, I don't think you've seen Highlander. Have you Cameron? I haven't seen Highlander. I don't believe it. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Bad parenting there, huh?
1: You have to watch it with him this week you have to well
0: cameron's uh, i'm going to indiana he's going going back see the family in indiana so he probably won't watch it with me but um maybe we'll just get you the digital version you can watch it on the road yeah awesome you can play along well thank you brad for picking that one i'm super excited to uh go back and you know get a little sword play action and i don't know i had had a good time revisiting some shakespeare some steve coogan thank you so much uh cameron Thank you. I, I mean you knocked it out of the ballpark again. Big trouble in Little China. Hamlet too. I'm super excited. You gonna come back on sometime? Most likely. Awesome. Most likely.
1: Most likely. I like the non-committal thing. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's You'll get that itch. You'll get <laughs> that itch. Is,
0: this is how our day goes. Like, <laughs> hey, man, you want to do this? I yeah, need
1: another maybe. podcast, man. Yeah, maybe.
2: If one movie uh speaks out to me, I will try to come back on. All right. That's now your right. sister's
1: gonna be back on in October, so you know you you gotta She'll be that'll be her second too so you gotta say one above her that's true <laughs> it's a competition more. yeah yeah
0: um hey on a serious note though it is it is father's day brad i i gotta say happy father's day to all of our listeners and also to all of our friends i mean we i know you and i know some amazing dads and yep. they've been on this show um, and I don't want to go through the list because of fear of missing one like I did um, when we were going through our anniversary episode and forgot Nathan because um, it didn't write down.
1: Forget. You didn't forget. He got a special know, shout out I, at the end.
0: I know. I still feel guilty about that. But listen, uh, it is awesome knowing you and you are an amazing father. And I also look up to you and I, I just got to say that's... Um, I, that's one of my favorite things. Again, I know we show a little love at the end of the episode um, and sort of our appreciation for everything, but I got to say on father's day, it's nice to be around some awesome fathers that uh, give you good advice. And you've done that for me over the years. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, man,
1: I appreciate it. Same to you. I've, I've asked you some questions cause your kids are way older than mine and, you know, having little ones can be tough, but uh, slowly molding them into becoming movie fans, one movie at a time. So exactly. Um, yeah. And you know, not you know, Father. Fi- happy Father's Day! And you know, if you're a father figure to someone, big shout out to you as well. Yeah, man. I still look, it's so hard for to believe for me being a father, but you know, I love it. I love it every day. So
0: yeah, and Cameron, you you don't need to be a father for a long time. So <laughs> yes. But, yes, I know. But thank you for being my father. I really appreciate it. Well, you
2: make oh. it
1: easy, man.
0: <laughs> um,
2: this
1: is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. Oh,
0: well, I, he's my best friend. So yeah. I I got a couple best friends. What
1: do we? There can only be one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nah, that's not true. Oh, hey, real quick, another big shout out um, to our good friend Sammy. He uh, ended up visiting with his son out on the East Coast, and we had an awesome time. We got to watch some movies together, show him a little bit of Baltimore. But uh, big shout out to him, and please go listen to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema go listen to the VH files, um, podcast, um, night of living podcast. I think those are some of the ones that we wanted to kind of always consistently throw a shout out to because they've been so good to us and we're so grateful to have them, um, just as partners and, and friends. And, um, hopefully we can get, uh, Sammy, Josh, Eric, all of them back on the show again at some point.
1: Yeah. We might have Josh on very soon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so listen, same thing. I don't know what time you're listening to this. I don't know if it's the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you so much. We are so grateful for you downloading the podcast and sending emails and playing along. And I hope you have an awesome day. Rock me, sexy Jesus. <laughs>